if everything's ready here on the dark side of the moon, play the pipe tones. The minute you move out of a small project that you control, if you write it and you direct it and maybe you produce it, you hit up your friends and your family for the budget and you get something because you want to make a Hollywood movie or you want to make a feature film. The minute that you start dealing with Hollywood or well, I say the movie business is the minute you start learning what it's all about because people are putting up money to make money. So the pressure on you is to deliver some bucks for them. In the case of The Thing, the creature was very ill-defined in its screenplay and in everybody's thinking. Nobody knew what to do with it. There's an old-fashioned idea, I guess it goes back to Val Luton, that if you're going to make a movie about a monster, you never want to really see it. You want to keep it in the dark because it's more effective that way. At least that's the thinking in kind of rich, liberal, uh, middle-brow Hollywood. I, I, don't show me anything that's terrible here because that's that you can't do that. I made the mistake of trying something different, which is to bring this thing out into the light. Show it going through its gyrations in front of you because of the story. See, the story is about this creature, this alien who can imitate anything. We did it and the audiences went, hated it. And Years later, everybody's going ooh and ah, but that's, that's the way it goes. And I made the mistake of trying something different, which is to bring this thing out into the light. Everybody, uh, welcome to a- another check-in episode. Uh, today's kind of our Friday episode. Hopefully, I'll just get this banged out, put right up right away. Uh, that was me playing with a new Roadcaster again, doing a little mix, some uh, little inspiration for the master from the master of horror cinema, Mr. John Carpenter, uh, talking about how he made the thing and the issues that he went through making the thing. Um, but, uh, that movie has not only become, uh, one of my favorite movies ever made, but it's a classic, uh, in cinema. So it just goes to show, do your shit. If you believe in it, make it right, make it good. And, uh, they'll eventually catch up to it. Um, so very excited today. Uh, today is a special 
episode because I am sitting, sitting with somebody today. In the same room. In the same motherfucking room. And we're not six feet apart. Yeah. It's getting crazy over here. <laughs> <laughs> so today I am joined by our good buddy, uh, frequenter on the show, actor, uh, soon to be directing again. You've been directing recently. Yeah, I've been dipping my toe in the water, as you could say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so, been fun, man. Um, you kind of, you definitely propelled that, I think. Well, we're here with Lance Williams, in case you guys don't know the voice. Um, and uh, before you guys start to judge and say, how come they're not wearing masks? Uh, both Lance and I went and got COVID tested uh, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, negative, we, clean and clear. Yeah, <laughs> negative. Thank God. <laughs> How many times? It's just like another test to add to that list where you yeah. hear the negative thing and you go, oof, oof. Ooh, thank God. That was a close one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it really shouldn't be that big of a list of things where you feel like, woo. <laughs> Uh, Also joining us remotely uh, is everybody's fave, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Mr. Uh, Liam O'Brien. Hello, Liam. How are you? Hello. Oh, I've got that is one big pile of shit. (laughs) Was that Liam? (laughs) I've got yeah. There it is. I can hear feedback. You're hearing. You're hearing feedback. I'm hearing myself. About half a second after, oh, now it's gone. This is fantastic. Oh, good. That's going to be really great for you. Yeah. You know? I was almost tortured with the sound of my own voice. I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have so much fun with that. I, I, know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such a blast. Oh, uh, so is it, uh, are you going to be able to handle it? Is it going to be okay for you? It's gone now. Oh, good. Okay, great. Yeah, whatever you did, it worked. Um, really proud of you. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Liam, your sound bites and now hearing you in here, you sound like young Harrison Ford to me. Really proud of you. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I told Mike, I'm convinced he's just slowly compiling friends that remind him of action stars from his childhood. So like, he's got Nick. Nick is like the John McClane in your Indiana Jones. Hold on. Hello. Hello! Why, Dr. Jones, whatever are you doing in such a nasty place? Why don't you come on down here? I'll show you. Thank you, my friend, but I think we're all very comfortable up here. Really that proud was, of you. That was Liam, right? That was so good. It's the same voice. Really proud of you. It's the same voice. Same voice. <laughs> this is such a dangerous toy for me. It really is. Um, <clears throat> So you're gonna be like the kid that has a little ball, paddle ball that just tuka, 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 exactly tuka, nonstop. And uh, Liam, <laughs> Liam did go through the process of pulling me some good quotes. We're trying to get some of these sound bites from the show, and uh, I'm pretty excited. Like some of these are really great. I don't want to be negative about it. Uh huh. It's a good one. That's a really good one. What are you fucking eating rocks when you record that? <laughs> Do me a favor. Like I learned this shit with my two fingers, and it made people fucking cry. So I'm gonna take the fingers out, and your face is gonna go in there instead. And we're gonna do that with your face instead of the fingers. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're talking about there. That's hold really on, open. Hold on. Let, let me play that again. I don't remember saying this. I don't remember. Do me a favor. I learned this shit with my two fingers, mm. and it made people fucking cry. So I'm gonna take the fingers out, and your face is gonna go in there instead. And we're we're gonna do that with your face instead of the finger. <laughs> this is like that moment when you're saying it, 
this is some profound shit. This is this makes perfect sense. And out of context, what the fuck is he talking about? I am so going down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. You don't even want to get me started right now. Like. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, great, great polls, man. Great polls. I'm telling you, oh, when I was part. listening to the, because I'm just listening to full episodes now. I'm just sitting here yeah. waking up, putting on a full episode, and then anything that makes me go, "Oh shit, that's funny," I, I pulled it. That that uh, fucking finger thing made a lot of sense in the episode, but it, it's so much better out of so, context. So Liam, this is you're doing. You've done this. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just pulled my fingers out and put his face there. Hold on, Mister Environmental is also a, a hunter. It's kind of an interesting combination. I hunt quail, Jeremy. They're overpopulated in this region, and they're decimating the grubworm population. You got a fucking problem with that? Not nearly as much as I do with the uh, attire that you have on, or just your general point of view towards everybody. But let's go kill some birds. I'm psyched. Is <laughs> that Vince Vaughn? <laughs> yes, that's Wedding that Crashers. Uh, Bradley Cooper? Bradley Cooper, uh, yeah. What a nice matchup that is. Uh, dude, it's an underrated movie. It, it, it's got a lot of low points in it. It's got a lot of dumb points in it, but there's a lot of really great quotes in there. Yeah, but it's like, that's not the movie you go to to leave the theater and go, wow, I'm changed. <laughs> yeah, well, it depends on the type of person. Yeah, there's definitely somebody who comes out of wedding crash and goes, fuck, I didn't think of it like that. <laughs> okay, so I'll see you later, huh? I'll give you a call. <laughs> anyway, enough with the soundboard. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we went and got COVID tested, which... If you guys are following me on uh, Instagram at Mike Pitchett on Instagram, I think you may have seen one of my posts that I did about it. But I went down and got tested at uh, Dodger Stadium here, which was a fucking weird experience. It was like this post-apocalyptic. You drive into the parking lot. They have the car snaked around. They have these giant like TV set up. I felt like I was in like uh, Spielberg set for AI or something. Yeah. And there's the yeah. governor of California. And you had to like tune into an AM radio station to hear what he was saying. It's like they're corralling all the humans in. And like, <laughs> Surprise, you're not getting tested. <laughs> Everybody just gets zapped. Into it, dude, you can't help but think that. You're sort of driving in there. It's like, obey, obey. It's yeah, like, yeah. Fucking weird, man. Um, but they were incredibly proficient. Like they put through at that testing site, they had 365 slots available wow. per hour. Holy shit. That's how fast they put people through that shit. Oof. It's pretty crazy. You you end up going down there. It's incredibly easy. And there are two tests that are out there right now. There's the nasal test, which you got, right? Yeah, it's fucking awful. Where'd you go it's for that? It's real bad. So I forget the name of the place, but it was in Redondo Beach. So you go all the way down there and you go through the drive-thru. And it was way smaller of an operation than, say, the Dodgers. And you get around. They give you like the little instructions through the car. They give you a clipboard to fill mm-hmm. out, and then you pull up, and they're just like, "Hey, if you need help with anything, just crack your window and ask us. Otherwise, just you know, do the, put the stick up your nose." <laughs> and so you put this thing up your nose, and they say, "Well, put it up your nose until it stops." I'm like, well, no shit, I'm not going to keep going. <laughs> so you go up, and they say, "Well, leave it there for like ten seconds." But what they don't tell you is like. I don't think there's anything on it, but once you get this all the way up into this part of your nose that's never been touched, it feels like it's covered in alcohol now and it just burns. And your eyes water and you sneeze for an hour. Oh and my then God. do the other nostril and then you're done. Oh my God. Like, <sighs> and you did this on yourself? Yeah, yeah. They have you self administer. Did they, when they handed you stuff, see, in our situation, they brought in these uh, like shipping containers that they have a window cut out of with bars. And then inside the shipping container is someone literally wearing a hazmat suit 
and they're using one of wow. those, you know, those old man claws that you use to grab cans yep. off of high shelves. Mm-hmm. An old man claw comes out of the window with the packet. You roll your window down. He puts it in that window, and you're like, "What the fuck?" And I'm just sitting here going, "Like, hey, where did you find this?" <laughs> it locks under my seat. Are they heavy? Yeah. Then they're expensive. Put them back. <laughs> the whole time. It makes me think of like in The Force Awakens when she goes to try to turn this from jug. He's like one quarter portion. <laughs> I just imagine that's the thing behind inside the fucking unit. Just it was, <laughs> dude. It was fucking wacky and and odd. Um, but on mine, there's, it was just a mouth test. So you yeah. go in, they make you cough a bunch, and then you swab your mouth, and then you swab the back of your throat, and then uh, that's what if it. this shit's not real, and it's just a good way to get all our DNA and clone us? Mm. So, oh, that's, we're fucked now. Can you imagine if there were multiple of you and me? That would be terrifying. Yeah. I think it would be... I would hunt me down and fight all the me's. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's my narrative. From the, I'm giving up all the acting shit. I'm just like... <laughs> I'm on a mission to find myself. <laughs> is it like multiple man? Like everyone that goes out and has their own experiences, you absorb all their experiences? Only after I kill them. Then I get to absorb all their yeah, experiences. Yeah, I'm into that. Like you have Highlander to, shit. You got to eat them. Like Ew, you actually, fuck. You got to eat their body. Like you have to cook yeah. them and eat them. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's like the, the, the you got to, you could kill them, but you got to do this thing. <laughs> you got to eat everything. Moral code is now shaky. You're like half sliced through the penis and you're like, oh God, what memories are in this? Do I really need those? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, man, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, what's new with you, Liam? Literally nothing. How's your girlfriend? I'm just, you don't talk all much, do you? It's fun. <laughs> what were you asking, Liz? Liam, how's your girlfriend? She's she's doing all right. We're doing okay. I, I actually realized, Matt. Uh, Immediately after I said we could talk about it on on record, I realized I can't talk about my relationship at all on record. It's fine. So, <laughs> so here's the thing: I'm pretty sure Liam's dating somebody in the CIA. <laughs> She's just, you know, it's it's it's. Follow me on Instagram or whatever, and we'll, and, and y'all can figure it out. It's uh, now, I don't want to do that. Right. This sounds too mysterious, and I'm not trying to go fucking missing. <laughs> you ask too many questions. I just imagine. I just imagine that it's like uh, that bit in uh, Stranger Things where the kids like, "I have a girlfriend, I swear," and he's like setting up the radio tower and everything. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Bullshit, Bullshit. Liam!" And then in the no, third act, I, oh, it's just them she lives in Jersey, man. She lives in Jersey, I swear. Oh, so she's definitely real. Yeah, <laughs> I love that you, you. She lives in Jersey. Like this is irrefutable proof now. <laughs> That's why. I, that's why I'm moving back. You know, it's all that. Yeah. No, it's true. I believe you, Liam. It's fine. Liam is. Uh, he is going to be making the move back out to the East Coast. Oh no shit! When do you go back? Dude, in like two weeks. Wow. You're driving, right? Oh hell yeah! Yeah, yeah. That's right. Your car's out here, so you got to drive it. Um, yep. Which way are you going? You going north or south on the way back? Honestly, I haven't decided yet. I did the uh, southern route out uh, out here, mm-hmm. but. I actually didn't. I stopped once uh, on the way. Mm-hmm. Jesus. And oh yeah, dude, I I pulled it off in less than forty eight hours. He's I was a, here in forty hours. He's a fucking psychopath. Liam is. Are you shit. okay? You doing all right? Cause that, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I could recruit yet from that if I'd done it that way. Uh, Do you I, have I'd any hobbies? Is the fucking? I collect coffee? spores, molds, and fungus. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you go to liam's apartment it's just a bunch of mason jars with moths in them <laughs> like what's what's this for 
I love beautiful things. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Bob. <laughs> the, we did the Northern uh, Pass when we came out. And here, take this into consideration. It is the fucking summertime, so the Southern Pass is going to be hot as fuck. Yeah. Don't. Well, that's that's what I was thinking. I was thinking about doing the Northern Pass because I, I, I can barely handle this fucking weather. Yeah. When you came out here, the Southern Route, what time of year was that? Was uh, January. Ah, uh, yeah. So we drove across the Southern Route in the summer in June. I, I, I don't do that shit. Okay. <laughs> it's fucking hot. Especially getting through like um, that that Midwest portion that feels like you just entered Mad Max's world. It's like 120 Yo, yeah. degrees outside. Nah. I almost quit smoking right then because I was like, I can't do putting the window down right now. I might just have to give this shit up. Uh, but the Northern Route's pretty rad. You end up going up through Utah. We ended up going up to the Rockies, the Colorado Rockies. If you do go up through Colorado... Just know that your car is going to act strange when you get into the certain altitudes. It mm-hmm. just does. I thought I was having car trouble, but it's just because of how thin the air is. Um, That's wild. So, like, right. your, your vehicle, like, I couldn't get my vehicle above 60 miles an hour. Oh, shit. Yeah. Just because of that. And I, I couldn't figure it out because other cars were fucking passing me and doing shit. But apparently what they do is the people that live in that community have their cars tuned for that altitude. That makes sense. So if you, if you do do that northern route, and there are aspects of that route when you're going through the Rockies that are pretty harrowing, like you're going up, it's not like thin roads, it's still like a two or three lane highway, but you're going up big portions of the mountain, but everybody else around you that are locals are doing it at like fucking 80, cl- like 80 miles an hour. 80 clicks. And you're just, you're sitting there going, <laughs> yeah, shut the fuck up. You're sitting there going, <laughs> You're sitting there going, Jesus Christ, my car's breaking, I'm fucked, and then people are passing you on both sides. So mm-hmm. um, that That's was, how I felt getting right outside L.A. Yeah. Because I, I was, I, again, I, had, I was on hour 40, and uh, my car had stopped for only five hours at that point. And that was, I mean, that was the first time I had actually, like, pushed this thing. I don't think I've ever driven a car for 30 straight hours before. And uh, you're lucky you're going up alive. over this fucking... What? What? Jesus. Dude, you know it's you know I, I, you know we probably shouldn't say it on the show, but you know that's illegal. Like you're physically not allowed to drive. Truck drivers aren't allowed to do that. You're not allowed yeah. to drive for longer than what is it like twelve hours or something? If you're yeah, a truck Uber, driver for Uber, that's twelve hours for us too. Yeah. After twelve, you have to take eight. Yeah, just so that you can. You should not be that sleep. way. You push sixteen hours and be like, yeah, make some money. Well, Liam lives in the nineteen fifties, so yeah. it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Uh, but uh, just be safe. And the thing that's cool about the Northern Route, although you're going to Jersey, so no, you're going to Philly, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm driving back to Philly. Yeah, so you won't hit like Northern New York. Northern New York was kind of cool, but Utah's gorgeous. Like going through Utah is fucking gorgeous, and that Northern Route is gorgeous. And then um, you end up having to drive back out, so you go out through Vegas and then go up that way. There's a wow, oh, fucking Corona. If we weren't in Corona, there's a really badass uh, diner on the outskirts of Vegas that's really mm. fucking awesome. Uh, but I, don't, I doubt they're serving. Um, and then uh, where else do we like? The Midwest got really fucking crazy and kind of monotonous. Did y'all come across that uh, that gas station that's got? 
the gas pumps, like, you know, the, the top thing that covers the gas pumps, it's mm-hmm. like covered in pieces of broken mirror. They've just sort of paper mache the outside. No, with, no, no. And it's like a hundred miles from anything in either direction. No. And I'm pretty sure the people inside, they're just vampires. <laughs> <laughs> it's the weirdest shit. And like, you're only, even, this is last June. So this is, there's nothing going on in the world. And it was still like one person at a time. <laughs> I told George, I was like, I think you should come in with me. I don't know what the hell's in there. It's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. That's exactly it. You go in and it's like three guys, just like weird undead bikers, and just everyone slow turns and looks at you. You're like, where's the bathroom, man? No one talks. They just point over into this dark room. Like, ah. um, I don't think we're going to get out of here alive. No, we didn't have that experience. But you do... Uh, you do get sick of seeing corn. It is all cornfields. It is a ass load of cornfields. You just don't realize how much corn this country grows until you're driving across mm. it. And we only drink it. We don't even fucking eat it. Yeah, it's it's insane. Gina, yeah, who the fuck would think, you know what we could do with corn? Make syrup. Ew. Yeah. Well, everybody likes Sounds soda. That's why you like the soda. No, fuck that. That's why you like the Sprites. Who the fuck likes Sprite? That shit is awful. I'll be real with you. Sprite's pretty dope. Again, I understand that this makes me seem even crazier. But like Sprite, 7-Up, that shit's awesome. Uh, yep, yep, yep. William's a dangerous individual. I don't think... <laughs> Anyone that's like, I like Sprite, dangerous individual. Do you have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. There it is. <laughs> I like pretty things. <laughs> um, but yeah, dude, you should definitely consider the northern route. It's it's actually kind of, it was beautiful. There was a lot of beautiful spots in the mid area. I forget the ex- specific states. We did a whole series. So if you guys want to hear uh, Gina and my, our trip across country, we did a whole podcast series on it, which you can find at lovewiththeprocess.com. I think it's like five or six episodes. We actually go into depth on uh, the process that it took for us to decide to leave another life, pack up and get rid of everything that was a part of that life, and then get in the vehicle and drive across country. We talk about how difficult it was to find housing remotely, uh, how stressful it was. We literally left Boston on the road without having a place booked. So we didn't have a destination address uh, in the, the thing. We didn't have our place booked until like day two on the road. Um, so it's, it's a really cool little mini series that we did. And we talk about the places that we went through and it's kind of fun. What would you I've have said done? this? I've said this off air, but on air, the episode where you flew out and started actually looking for places was one of the coolest fucking episodes of the series. Really? Absolutely. I told you this like in person. Oh, I said like that, that was the point. Cause you get, you get really depressed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, you are not helping the case of you being a sociopath. It was such a good episode. You were so depressed. No, but all right, all right, listen. I was a lot relishing of when your they pain. Talk, when you have when you have like podcasts and whatever, it's always like the you know this is the really good shit. Everybody's happy, blah blah blah, whatever. No, that's not real. Like the reality of moving across the fucking country is you're losing your mind every day, and and that episode was like. Holy shit! I don't know what's gonna happen. All of these places fucking suck. All of these are yeah, fucking lies. It and true. it's like, and it's real because I I dealt with that shit mm-hmm. when we were moving out here. I'm kidding. I didn't. We got a place immediately, and it was awesome. But like, I'm sure other people deal see with that, that shit. See how he didn't even laugh? <laughs> Devoid of emotion. He knows no joy. <laughs> Do you have the soundbite from Terminator where it talks about it can't be stopped? Because I think this is Liam. I know. <laughs> I wish I did have that one. Really proud of you. <laughs> really proud oh of you. My God. 
but th- I, that's great that you like that episode. It was definitely a difficult time uh, looking for a place and doing all that stuff. But uh, thank God, man. Gene and I talk about it because after being quarantined, it was worth it was worth finding a good spot. It was worth taking the time to find a good spot because you know mm-hmm. we've been basically this has been LA for us. Yeah, it's, it's been living in this place. Um, and honestly, those of you listening, I ended up falling back on my producing skills more than anything else to make the house happen, to make the apartment happen. And you have to be on your toes when you're looking for stuff, especially if you're coming from the distance. And I know there's a bunch of listeners that are planning. I just talked to a listener the other day that's like, I'm moving out to Los Angeles. I'm like, now in the middle of fucking COVID? Are you crazy? Um, But it is a process. uh, And when we came across... I first booked a real estate agent from a friend and I was like, okay, cool. At least I'll have a real estate agent and that'll happen. And I got out here and the real estate agent was really nice, but they had only booked like one or two places. And they're like, what do you think? You going to grab them? I'm like, I'm out here for a fucking week. You know, yeah, I would like to that. see a bunch of stuff, spots. And uh, they were literally like, well, you need to do the legwork on that. You need to do Craigslist. You need to go and do this stuff. And so, Isn't that their job? Yeah, dude, I don't know. So, uh, <laughs> hmm. so then I ended up getting into uh, one of the apps. I'm not going to promo the app because they should they should advertise with us. But we ended up getting into one of the apps, which is a real estate app. Um, and one of the things I learned with that app is that you get in there. I'd wake up early in the morning. I'd wake up at like four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, go through the listings for that day. And instead of responding to the email on that app, I would text each of the phone numbers that I was interested. It was like, do you have any times available? Do you have any slots available? And so between like five and eight o'clock in the morning, I would book out my entire day. Mm. And the one thing that I didn't take into consideration, not living out here in Los Angeles, was understanding the sprawl of this city. Oh, yeah. And so I would book things the same day. I'd be like, cool, let's go look at a place in Malibu Beach and let's look at a place in fucking Glendale. And it was like, I didn't take into consideration that there was like an hour and a half, two hour distance between. And so you start to get overzealous and you start overbooking yourself and you can't make it from place to place. Mm. Um, So just be cautious about that. And it took me, well, see, I flew out here on bonus miles which we've talked about on the show before, which you can still sign up at our sponsors page. We're actually have a deal with Capital One, but both Gina and I got Capital One cards for the Venture card. And with the Venture card, if you spend uh, $3,000 in the first three months, you essentially get a $500 bonus towards travel. And so we were both doing jobs at the time. That's why credit cards are great if you're a freelancer. Mm-hmm. You put everything on there and then the client's gonna pay it off at the end of the month when you get paid. So we essentially got about a grand um, with bonus miles. Yeah. And that $1,000 ended up buying the plane ticket and putting me out here for about a week in an Airbnb. And then that's when we did the hunt. And that was, I came out here to look for places two weeks before we came out because you can't early look for spots in Los Angeles right. because unlike Boston where everything opens up in one month because it's a college town, so mm-hmm. September is when the lease is open. Out here, as soon as the lease goes on the market, yeah. they want it to go. Right. It could be in the middle of the fucking month. And mm-hmm. You have no fucking idea. So um, I got off on a tangent on this thing. It's a really cool uh, part of the show. Definitely go check it out. If you go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, you'll be able to listen to our process of traveling cross-country. 
And uh, I'm very happy, Liam, that uh, you're going to be able to get back and see your family and see everybody. Uh, and I'm also happy that you're sticking with the show and you're going to be able to work with us remotely. Um, and it's, I'm, you know, look, I, I apologize that you came out to work and be in the space right before COVID, man. It's kind of a shit deal. I'm you know? glad that you're taking a responsibility for it. Well, you know, I'm trying to be a good man here. <laughs> no, yeah. It's, you didn't know that Mike's <laughs> responsible for COVID? <laughs> News break. It You're all makes sense petty. now. You're a small petty man. <laughs> uh, uh, while we're here, I think this is the time. I want to do a uh, phone call to somebody. Let me see if uh, we can go through on it. Stand by, fellas. Let's see if this will happen. See if he answers the phone. By the way, anyone listening, I have no fucking idea who this is. <laughs> he might not answer the phone. Yo. Hey, Alex, it's Mike. You're on the podcast. What's going on? Ooh, are you like are you out in the middle of the desert somewhere? You sound like uh Sounds like he's being chewed up by a robot. <laughs> you being attacked by a robot right now? What's that? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> You're breaking up pretty bad. Uh, I can't hear anything you say. Give me a call back if you have better reception. Bye. Dude, did you need me to translate robot for you? Yes. He said bleep, 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 bleep. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Oh, boy. Oh, we're doing this via FaceTime. There's so much technology happening right now. I know. This is insanity. Oh, it's not going to go through. Hey, buddy. What's going on? Happy, happy birthday. What, the, what are you, recording a podcast right now? Yeah, you're on a podcast right now. I'm here with, uh, with Lance. Hey. What's up, man? Uh, Look at my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> birthday, birthday episode. <laughs> well, it is now because you're the first one to yeah, say you happy. Haven't you're the first one anything yet on the episode. Though. I'm on Cape Cod, so there's there's almost no service. It sucks. That's fine. That's fine. I just wanted to say hi, and uh, and you're the first one to wish me a happy birthday on my show. And you're sitting right here, Lance. You didn't even say anything. I said it earlier today. Yeah, <laughs> I fucking texted him and never even responded. Mike was like, don't bring up my age in the episode today, okay? Just don't, don't do that. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> You're 42, right? Yeah. Same as your, uh, your waist on your jeans. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, for those listening, we're joined by uh, our good buddy, Alec Johnson, who has, uh, you haven't done it in a while, but you haven't given us any uh, movie quotes for the show. Oh, is that what I do? Movie quotes? <laughs> Reviews. Do you have movie reviews? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, I, I've been watching some horror movies and stuff. I got that Shutter streaming thing. You know, the uh, the horror. I think it's through like Prime. Yeah. Yeah, that shit's fucking great. But uh, it's mostly bullshit. I finally saw Mandy. Yeah. Oh yeah. What'd you think? Uh, I liked it, but it it like gave me like a fucking 
headache. Everything was red. <laughs> oh shit, did I lose you? No, we're here. We're here. Yeah. I want that to yeah. just be the whole review. That's it. Lost you. Oh. <laughs> no, you're here. We got you, buddy. So you, what were you saying about it? You oh, need- okay. No, I liked it. It was just, it was a lot of red. Everything was red. <laughs> you know? It was like wearing, like, like I wanted to take my red sunglasses off, but it wasn't, I wasn't wearing sunglasses. It was just <laughs> I love that you watch movies like like a dad, like an old fifty-five year old dad. <laughs> you wanted to know what I thought. I liked it, but I was trying to focus on the negative. <laughs> the movie was too red. Too red. Who was the guy who directed it? Some that Greek dude. Yeah, it's uh, Cosmo. Uh, Panos. 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 Cosmatos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He doesn't like blue, I guess. <laughs> God fucking hates blue. It's like how, what, like the guy McDonald's guy. He hated hot dogs or something, or Burger King. But that's it's like the same story for Mandy. He, he hates the color blue. <laughs> the opposite of that. Uh, how's how's uh, how's Boston doing? What's what's new with uh, COVID, Boston? Uh, I haven't been in Boston since like early June. Oh, because you're on the you're on the Cape. Yeah, I'm on the Cape. Right. That's why this is not working so well with the phone stuff. Oh, it's cool. Yeah, so uh, that's why I had to Facetime you. There's no service here. Um, it just I have to use the Wi-Fi. I thought it was because you wanted to see my face today. I thought that's why. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know what. Black pubic hair looks like I have. It. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he's such a nice man. I love, I love that you're in my life. <laughs> I, who's grayer? Who's getting grayer, grayer in the beard? Uh, it's got to be you. It's, uh, one would hope it's me. It's like I've got, I've got some more time in the marination for that than you do. Well, look at that. See, I'm getting, I'm getting in the chip. Um, it's probably because you're such an old cranky fuck. <laughs> it's like you're both slowly turning into wizards. It's just not the cool you're shit equipped. <laughs> I'm not that cranky. Everyone's cranky, right? Everyone's cranky. Yeah. People here get real cranky about the mask. <laughs> what? What? So do you have any? Do you have any insight as to why people are cranky about masks? Something about George Soros. So it's, I guess, it's like something about Jewish people. I don't know. <laughs> I can't figure it out, man. People just get real fucking mad. I'm just a firm believer that people never really understood how terrible their breath was until they had to wear a mask. Ooh. Yeah, no, I, every time, I drink a lot of coffee. So if I forget to uh, brush my teeth and I go out. <laughs> dude, dude i've had like one of my meals the night before and then been in the grocery store and just burped because i forget that i'm wearing a mask yeah. and you just burp right into the mask and i just have to run out of the grocery store and air it out <laughs> that's how i know the masks work dude we were in gina and i were in uh trader joe's and she's walking down the aisles with the mask on and she just does a full throttle 
sneeze into the mask, Ugh. which just like violently blows snot all on her face. <laughs> and she had to walk around for about an hour with snot on her face. She had, did she get home and shampooed out of her mustache? <laughs> 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 oh man Jesus. yeah so yeah dude i don't get it i mean at least out there people seem to have a bit of a grasp on shit and the numbers are down but you know we live in uh, you get you can find people in barstool county who are just as stupid as anybody in i don't know in, Calif- in california <laughs> california yeah well Everybody's, there's a lot of stupid people everywhere. <laughs> it really is just like politics. It's just whatever they think, whoever they want to vote for, I guess, is, has something to do with getting sick or not getting sick. I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. I love the idea that specific things, like as long as you act specific ways in public, you're immune. You're immune to a virus, mm. which, is, which is really great. I just heard this. Wait, you mean like. What's that? I just broke up. Go ahead. No, no, no. You can. So, yeah, no. Your podcast, you talk, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) It's your birthday. You talk. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, Yeah, no, there's all sorts of weird, on both sides, there's all sorts of weird shit. Uh, Someone was just posting the other day that if you don't wear a mask, you're a racist because you're not wearing a mask and apparently it affects black people more. And I'm like, what is the fucking virus racist? And fuck off. That's too much. It's already too many thoughts to connect for most people that the mask is for other people. Yeah. And then it's like drill it further down, especially for the people that don't want to wear it. Like, you say something like that, they're going to want to wear it last. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I. Like. Yeah. yeah, you're not really helping the case. We're supposed to yeah. get the masks on yeah. them. Read the room. Look at who's not wearing the mask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, they're not. Get it, like, Social equity is not going to be like, oh, you're right. Trump does suck, and I will wear a mask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the side effect. <laughs> as soon as you put the, I'm not wearing this mask because I'm going to be a fucking liberal. As soon as I put it on, I'm going to see how shitty Trump actually is. Fuck. It's like the, sun, the sunglasses and they live. Yeah, they live. <laughs> That's basically yeah. what it is. Uh, oh, yeah, the lizard people or whatever. I actually never saw that one. Really? That's well, a good one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I, I never, never did see that one. You got to see it. It's uh, Roddy Ryder Piper, and then uh, what's his name? The amazing uh, actor that they have this long fucking fist fight in an alley that I'm sure you've seen I, on I, there. I'm familiar with that because they did the riff on the South Park. South Park, yeah. Keith and David. That fight wow. is what it feels like when you're trying to tell someone to wear a mask. Is that, is that the guy who fights? Yeah, yeah, Keith David. Yeah, he's amazing. I, is that guy still alive? Isn't because Rowdy Roddy Piper's dead, right? He died. Yeah, yeah. Keith still alive. Keith, Keith David. Yeah. Just had him, uh, he's voicing Spawn again. They put Spawn in like the Mortal Kombat game. And they brought Keith David back to voice him. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's fucking great. Now that's a guy who knows how to voice Spawn. Voice Spawn. Yeah, he he voiced Spawn on the uh, HBO animated series, I think. Mm-hmm. Which is actually pretty. Which is actually pretty fucking good. Mm-hmm. I was kind of into Spawn when I was a kid. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had like a couple action figures, and I was like, "Oh, I wish I knew more about this." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the way I was with uh, Alien. I had like all these Xenomorph toys, but I was a little bit like, 
like, I was a little pussy, so I wouldn't watch the movies. But uh, someday when I get older, I'll be strong enough to watch the movies. Well, good news. If you feel like there was a lack of blue in Mandy, then uh, you'll get all the blue you need from <laughs> yeah. James Cameron and Aliens. Sure. Oh, yeah, I've, seen it. I've seen all the Alien movies now. <laughs> not, all the, not all the AVP movies. Uh, I don't have time for that. But. Oh, dude, I tried. I got so excited about the AVP stuff because essentially that started in the comics it was a uh, dark horse i think had the rights to do both alien and predator so they combined the universes in the comic series yeah. didn't they at one point have like a alien versus predator versus terminator thing or some shit like yeah that? and then it was like ash versus alien mm-hmm. versus predator and they did all this like, and now comes duke nukem you're like all right, what the fuck's happening all right, so it's yeah. like smash bros what is this? yeah you guys are killing it <laughs> Uh, but I was excited about the con- like the thing I liked about what they did with it was the combination of the the history of both creatures and how they were saying that the predators were breeding these things for hunting trials and all that kind yeah. of stuff. I thought that was really kind of cool. Um, but then you get into the movies and the movies are just trash, really trash. And it sucks. What's like the first point at which there was some crossover? Because which I forget what that was it. The second Predator movie where they see the Xenomorphs go. Yeah, Danny Glover goes in and kicks their ass, kicks the ass out of the thing, and there you see the tro- trophy cabinet, and you see one of the Xenomorph skulls in that. Um, that must have been a cool moment as a fan to watch that shit in theater, and then get that little scene at the end. And you're like, <gasps> yeah, fucking rad, right? That's pretty fucking yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, it's probably it's all toys, but it's pretty cool though. Toys and comics, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once you start getting into sequel territory. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. No. Predator 2. I like Predator 2. It's totally trash. It's like old Joel Silver movie trash. Mm-hmm. So, like, all the extras and all the actors are extras and actors and all these other Joel Silver movies. Like, uh, his sidekick, one of the cops, was one of the woman cops in uh, uh, Lethal Weapon. She, I think she was the one that went out in the diving board and blew up. Oh, shit. Remember that? She's in that movie. Fucking my goddamn Bill fucking Paxton's in that movie. Are you talking to him or something? I'm not a big Bill Paxton fan. Why do you not love Bill Paxton? I just want to revisit it one time. Because Bill Paxton notoriously plays the shittiest characters continuously, and he does such a good job at it yeah. that you can't help but think it isn't a stretch. I love the Edge of Tomorrow, though. Edge of Tomorrow, he's, yeah, he's pretty good, but he's that subdued in that. so funny. Yeah. So do you think it's, it was like a Chris D'Elia type thing where he always plays pedophiles <laughs> in TV shows and it turns out he's really a pedophile? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Wait, there's a fucking plot twist. Oh, man. Well, what Because he, he was on that he was on that Mormon show, right? He was the lead on that Mormon show as well. It was like... Uh, you mean Mormon Mormon? Like... I can't remember what it was called. Storm and Mormon? No. I think it was a Mormon show. Was it a Mormon show? It was a it was a show where where he had multiple wives. Is it? It's not the Mormons where they have multiple wives, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's Mormon. They got polygamy, right? Yeah. So it was it was I think it was a Mormon show. I forget what it was called. It was like a Showtime show or something. And he was he was the lead on that. And he, I don't know. Like, look, uh, I just have a personal, <laughs> I have a personal, personal disgust of of uh, like the characters that he plays. I'm sure he was a really great guy. Uh, rest Come on, of, Paxton, because you really like. I know you're a huge Crystalia fan. Like, he's Italian, I'm Italian. It's pretty cool. I think it's funny. <laughs> Absolutely no comment on any of that. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but no, uh, you know he's. You know what I liked him in was True Lies. I haven't seen that in a while. Was he a bad guy? 
So he was he basically played the he played a car salesman and he was talking to uh what's her name who was the lead in that from Halloween Jamie Lee Curtis. And he, he had a move with Jamie Lee Curtis where he pretended to be a secret agent part-time and he was this total sleaze bag just trying oh, to get yeah. in her pants. Uh, yeah. Uh it, I, I had a neighbor like that on the Cape growing up. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> He, he was like he had a um, he was a chiropractor that lost his license because he was like he was touching ladies while they were out. Oh my god! Like oh, on the wow. table or something. Jeez. I don't know. Oh he was god. getting he was a handy yeah he was a scumbag. But he would also do this thing where he like he bumped into my mom in the supermarket and he'd be like, you know, I'm actually a CIA agent. <laughs> Like what CIA yeah, agent is just like in the milk aisle, like I'm oh, just so you know. Hey, hey, I'm yeah. oh, besides hey, my girlfriend. Hey. Yeah, it's the lead's like girlfriend and that guy. That's just, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> we're supposed to. We're required by law to tell everybody. Hey, I'm CIA. I'm a creepy, insane asshole. <laughs> That's basically. Like hey, are you CIA? You know, you gotta say if you are. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta tell me if you are. KGB used to do that. Like, fuck. That's never gonna be an Ivan. How are we ever supposed to stay undercover? When they ask, we have to tell them who we are. That's why Putin's winning. That's why Putin's winning. gets alive. No. No, I'm American as apple pie. <laughs> Ah, uh, man. Well, uh, I just wanted to call and uh, have you on the show. Thanks for the happy birthday wishes. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, <clears throat> do something besides do a fucking podcast for your birthdays. Dude, we're, we're, we're in COVID. Like, this is a ex- loser. Do something with your life. <laughs> <Yeah, really? laughs> do something. He said, take a nap. That's the alternative. <laughs> it's like, fucking do something. Sleep. Take a nap. Go Get a- ride a skateboard or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> do some push-ups <laughs> that's what we do out here in california everybody rides a fucking skateboard <laughs> all right alex appreciate having you on the show man okay buddy i'll see you uh, i love that guy miss him cool dude really he's actually one of the more funny uh he really writes really great satire and uh, he's he's a writer. Yeah. That's what he does. He's I'm like, sure. uh, yeah, he does um, a bunch of like online writing um, and uh, does a bunch of articles and stuff like that. Really cool dude. I've known him for a little while. He used to be uh, Gina's roommate, um, and I've always we've always sat around and gotten into pretty funny dark holes. Yeah. Um, and I think he's very talented. So uh, he's just you know he's in Boston. He should be somewhere else. Yeah, like he could totally be writing for like the Conan O'Brien show or something like that. Oh, is that like the word he wants? He's he's in it's like TV and film, or is it more of like journalism? He's more journalism, but he uh, you know he has aspirations, I'm sure, to do that kind of stuff, right, and right. he's got the skills for it. Um, so he's really funny, really good dude. Uh, <clears throat> by the way, Liam, I don't think he can hear you because he had to go to FaceTime, and for some reason, when you're on FaceTime on the phone, it doesn't go through Bluetooth. So that's cool. I can't even fucking hear me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, let's see. Uh, well, I'll, let's take a minute here because I have, uh, a new ad read and I want to do an ad read on the show for it. Cause I think it'd be kind of cool. So hold on. Let's do a little music cue here. 
uh, and we'll cue this guy up. Man wouldn't do that. This isn't a man. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. You can either ignore it or you can help me to stop it. So, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I got to do uh, this week, because I had a little bit of extra cash, I had some birthday cash, is I did some shopping, looked for some new t-shirts, looked for some new shirts and stuff, which is kind of cool. Um, and uh, unfortunately, I ordered some shirts from a, from another company and uh, didn't get the sizing right, so I had to ship those back. But <clears throat> I did come across this company, which I'm really sort of excited about. Uh, they're called Fright Rags. So it's F-R-I-G-H-T dash rags. Um, let me see. Let me just read their copy first, and then I'll give you what I think about it here. Frightrags.com. Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products for your favorite creature features, slasher flicks, and cult classics. Collections include John Carpenter's Halloween, Universal Monsters, Night of the Living Dead, Creepshow, Twin Peaks, Evil Dead, Ghostbusters, and many more, all officially licensed, which is great, and only available at fright-rags.com. We'll put the link below the episode. Uh, and if you go to their website, uh, use the promo code that'll get you 10% off. Use the promo code ILWP10 at checkout. Um, I love these guys. I'm actually, I've got a couple shirts on order, Liam. You'll get a shirt that's coming in. Oh, shit. Yeah, man. I, I'm getting, uh, hopefully they're going to send it to me. I ordered a, a really awesome shirt for the gate. Remember the gate? No, what's that? Never saw the gate? Nope. Okay, so the gate came out, I forget what year specifically, but it was an 80s movie about a bunch of kids that uh, found a gateway buried in their backyard to hell. Whoa. So it's like... It's, I, I don't know if Joe Dante had something to do with it. I don't know. Let's look it up here. Hold on a second. Yeah, that sounds fucking wild. Yeah, it's pretty rad. Uh, it's got a little bit of Poltergeist feeling to it. Uh, big fan of it. Now, so I don't know the, specifically this director. It's Tybor Takis. I'm going to completely mispronounce that. Uh, but Steven it's. Dwarfs in that? Yeah, dude. It's oh, wow. young kid, man. And it's really great fucking movie. Um, super creepy 80s vibe. It's obviously Stranger Things. Yeah. Was very much influenced by it. Um, but uh, they have this really cool t shirt for it that uh, we're getting in. I've got a couple of other ones. They have some really cool Ghostbuster shirts. Um, hold on a second. I'll go to the website while we're sitting here. Yeah, I'm looking at it on my phone. These look fucking awesome. Right? The designs are really cool. Um, yeah. They had a brand new, which I missed. I was super bummed, but they just did a <clears throat> brand new Jaws shirt that is super fucking rad. But they have some really good stuff. They just did a brand new uh, Bateman video shirt, which is uh, Bateman from American, Psy American Psycho, which the design on is really fucking cool. Um, they're sold out of their Halloween shirts right now. Um, but they have like, like, so if you're a deep horror fan like I am, like they have phantasm shirts which are pretty rad um they have some really like pretty cool hyper color old universal monster stuff so like creature from the black lagoon the original mummy the wolfman uh everybody's Dude, they have a chopping mall shirt yeah <laughs> that is so cool 
Super cool stuff, man. I'll show you. Uh, the Creep Show stuff's pretty good. I think they're sold out of a Die Hard. They had a Die Hard shirt that was uh, really fucking cool. Looks like they only have the pins up there right now. The Ghostbuster stuff is really awesome. Their vintage tee is pretty awesome. Um, I love this old school Ghostbuster shirt. Pretty oh, cool. Shit. Yeah, it's like they have like a very sort of vintagey, almost faded prints that they do on them, <clears throat> which is really great. Uh, and they're a really cool team of guys. Uh, and like, as, I don't want to say they're a smaller company, but you're dealing with real people when you when you buy stuff from this place. Um, but they have like a rad poltergeist shirt with a ghost coming through the door. Oh, shit. Pretty cool, right? Yeah, I used to fucking... Poltergeist is the one that had the little clapping monkey hand thing, right? Why what? did anyone ever buy that for their kid? <laughs> I forgot that that's in there. <laughs> I should put that on a shirt. <laughs> um, but uh, they're really cool. Very excited to have them as a sponsor on the show. And I know, like I say in the past... I find sponsors, I find companies that I like, places that I get stuff from and stuff that I know that you guys would like. Uh, and we've had a bunch of sponsors on the show that are selling very expensive pieces of equipment, so a lot of people really can't get involved uh, with that. But these are T-shirts, and their T-shirts aren't that bad at all, man. It's like 28 bucks, 25 bucks for a really great T-shirt. And shirts that you're not seeing on everybody, mm -hmm. which I like when I'm looking for stuff. Did it uh, say they live in there? Did I see that since we were just talking about it? Yeah, let's take a look. I think they have a they live shirt too. They do, and it's fucking awesome. It's the rowdy, rowdy tea. Oh, oh yeah, that one's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, that one's dope. <laughs> that's pretty sick. They have the mind control one. So uh, hopefully these guys will be around for a little bit. They're sending me a couple shirts now, Liam, and uh, I will definitely get you some they have a uh i i don't know if we're gonna get it but they have uhf shirts you ever see uhf no what's that yes oh <laughs> i could tell that liam would be a fan of that uhf <laughs> uh liam you describe uhf because you're a fan no nah, i mean i i actually don't know other than the fucking shirt i feel <laughs> like i saw i saw my Wait, merch growing up shut up oh, yeah. shut up it's fucking UHF. It's, it's my childhood. I just remember growing up <laughs> looking what, the at the letters UHF U going, H and F on your childhood. They're everyone's child. It's the alphabet, Liam. Oh. I don't want to talk about it. I'm going through shit. <laughs> it's ridiculous, man. Um, I don't so, know what it is, but I want it. <laughs> I've got some some big news. <laughs> so UHF oh UHF is a movie starring Weird Al Yankovic that came out in the 80s. Okay. And it was like kind of an indie. I think it was pretty much an indie at that time. It's a cult classic. And it was basically uh, Weird Al's uncle dies and he owned an old community access TV station mm -hmm. and Weird Al gets his hands on it and he gets to basically program the station and become a man, essentially, is, yeah. the, is the theme of the thing. Um, but it's like Michael Richards, Seinfeld, first appearance on that show, and he plays a crazy fucking janitor, like a oh. batshit janitor, which is really cool. It's a series? No, it's a, it's a movie. It's a oh, movie. I see what you're saying, but it's the first time he appears on the show. Okay. Yeah, Dude, yeah, yeah. Seeing, seeing the fucking posters throwing it back to me, I grew up on Weird Al, which is why I know about it. All uh, right. And you've never seen the fucking movie? No, I do. My mom didn't let me see any movies growing up. Okay. I just knew about the fucking UHF because of all the fucking... I had, like, four Weird Al albums, but I didn't have any of anything else that he had. So, like, I had these little, uh, like, the insert slips or whatever when you open up the CD case, because uh, they were CDs, not records. And 
it, it like folded out as the trifold, and it was all UHF stuff. So I had those like on my wall. <laughs> really, it was just it was just UHF. It wasn't even like his face, like the poster. It's just that weird like circular design behind him. That kind of looks like you're staring into a um, thing that's going to hypnotize you. Oh yeah, and yeah. then it just had UHF, and that like it, it was on my room. It was awesome. Well, but, dude, yeah, I didn't know anything dude, else about it. Other wa- than that. <laughs> watch it; you'll enjoy it. Oh, if you like Weird okay. Al, you'll love the shit out of that movie. Oh, I love Weird Al. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, those of you listening, like I said, check out go to Fright Rags. So that's fright ragscom A lot of really cool T-shirts. Really cool sponsor. And uh, definitely enter that promo code uh, because you'll get the 10% off. Uh, and you'll also let them know that we sent you, which is important. And I'm full disclosure here. This is how sponsorships work. So when you hear promo codes and they're like, listeners get 10% off when they use the code ILWP10 at the checkout, that serves two purposes. One, you save some loot. Two, they know that we sent you, which ultimately means they continue to sponsor the show. So those of you who are like, Mike, we don't have a lot of money. We can't throw you money for the show. Why don't you just buy yourself a t-shirt, put in the promo code, and they'll know that we're sending you, which is supporting us, and you're getting something. And as things progress, we're actually talking about making merch for the show ourselves. So there'll be a bunch of new stuff out there for it. Uh, So very excited about the future of the show. Very excited about the stuff that we're working on. So... That's it. I wanted to throw these guys on as a sponsor. I know I've done these uh, secondary episodes without sponsors, but I felt like because we're talking about the thing, because we've been talking about all these horror pieces, uh, it was relevant. Um, So, yeah, super excited about all of that. not getting out of here alive but neither's that thing that's feel like that's how my stomach sounds <laughs> after a night of hanging out with you eating and drinking <laughs> it's just all that going on uh but uh you both have seen the thing obviously mm-hmm. yeah true yeah what do you guys think you guys like it as much as i do i really like that shit man it's it, the thing that i i dig the most with it is like for them using all the practical effects, how gross and creepy and just mm-hmm. like when you look at it, it's like you want to look away because it's like, ah, what the fuck? Ugh. Yeah. You know? And by then, again, like he says, by not really defining what this thing is, it's just, it's so, it's so interesting the way that it ends. Oh, I love the fucking ending of that movie where it's just like they're both sitting there. And then uh, that's what's his name again that we were talking about. It's also in that movie. Keith David? Keith David. Oh, right. Yeah, because him and Kurt Russell. Yeah, Sam and Kurt Russell at the end of that, and mm. uh, that whole moment where they don't know which one of them is potentially a thing, and they don't know what their outcome is, and he's just like, well, let's just sit here and see what happens. And that's how they end yeah. the fucking movie. Yeah, they don't give you the answer. I kind of dig that, because you know you get movies that'll give you all the answers, and I'm fine with that, but also the, having that balance with the movies that don't clear every single thing up or give you the plot wrap up kind of dig that shit too yeah and then Car- what did carpenter say he was we did it and the audiences went and hated it and uh, years later everybody's going ooh and ah but that's you know that's the way it goes yeah 
That's got to be a weird feeling too, right? Where you you put so much into a thing and people are like, fuck this movie. Then yeah. 10, 20 years later, I was like, this shit is amazing. Are you kidding? You haven't seen it? Well, dude, the, where were you motherfuckers at when the tickets were being sold? Well, he talks about it on uh, in multiple interviews. The problem that the thing had is that it came out the same year that E.T. came out. Ah, right, right. And so you're doubling down. You have two alien movies that are coming out. And E.T. was like, check it out. The, the, the fucking alien that likes to eat Reese's Pieces and candy. And, the, you know, everybody thinks it's super cute. And then you follow it up. Yeah. With John Carpenter's The Thing, which is completely horrifying, mm-hmm. and then ends at such a dark tone. But it's interesting because it's been like, look at how just people are, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's got something in them. Mm-hmm. And you don't know just by looking at somebody what kind of evil they got in them or what kind of traits they harbor. Liam feels like he's probably killed people <laughs> before, right? You would never know by looking at him. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. See how he has to fake laughing? It's because he doesn't know how it feels to actually laugh. <laughs> he's just damn. imitating what he's seen other people do. That's big news. I would, uh, you know, Liam is Liam is just... Uh, really proud of you. He's got that thing going on. <laughs> really proud of you. Really proud of you. God damn it. Look, I have emotions, and that movie's fun it's a, it's, a, it's a light-hearted family film i don't want to be negative about it oh my God. you sound like nick nolte <laughs> i can't prove any of this really proud of you <laughs> so so let me ask you a question here. actually watch things so so oh, Liam, 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 let's find out where your emotions are at okay oh so my god <laughs> you gotta choose between uh-huh. the life of a mother or her newborn baby Right. Wait, like one of them's dead. You gotta choose between the life of a mother or her newborn baby. Okay. Now, see, you see how his response was. I'm concerned about the time frame. <laughs> Thought about life or death or. Oh gosh, that's that's a sad question, Lance. He goes, ah, like, do I have time to like do other stuff before I have to deal with this? <laughs> It's it's the newborn baby. That's obvious. <laughs> that's good. That's good. It's a good answer, I suppose. You're a bad, hey. person. <laughs> You're a bad person. A quick Google search showed me that that was the answer. So. Oh God! I am so going down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. You don't even want to get me started right now. Like. We should call Rick and ask him if he knows about the Indigo Children. <laughs> we should actually. Uh, I think he texted me a couple minutes ago. Um, yeah, he did. He texted me. Thank you, buddy. Happy birthday to you. Brick had his birthday as well. This like last week we were joking about it. I'm like, we're July boys. So uh, how old is he now? I think he's like 35 or something. 30, 38. He's in that range. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing good. I just want to point out that I texted you a happy birthday and your response was link sent. <laughs> Uh, well, Liam, I wanted to get you on the show. I wanted to, I wanted to hear you say happy birthday to me on the show. That was the well, ha- happy birthday, you young lad. <laughs> really proud You're of you. The, yeah, there it is. You're in the spring of your youth. <laughs> it's very true. Over the hump, you know, it's like 42 is such a, uh, such like a 
forgetful year, honestly. It's just sort of like, what are you, 47 Oh, well, this year particularly, yeah. Oh, well, 40, yeah, last, the last year has been, mm. you know, sort of like a throwaway. Uh, was, well, that's not true. You know what? That's not true. That's just being, like, stupid and depressing. Like, the truth of the matter is, we talked a lot last night. One of the cool things about uh, being able to hang out with Lance uh, was that uh, we haven't, I haven't been in the space with someone other than my roommates for, what, like, almost a year, like, had, like a good period of time, and so... We just talked all night last night. We were up mm-hmm. until like two, just mm-hmm. talking shit, talking about everything. Um, you need we, that. You know, need that fresh perspective and to be able to sit down and have a conversation and sort of get a lot of this shit off you. Yeah. Or you just walk around thinking about it. And you hear a different perspective. Go, oh, I'm looking at that shit wrong. Mm-hmm. 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 It's to- even like you're saying right now, like, ah, you know, to say this year is a waste is kind of just negative and depressing. There's a different way to look at that. Hey, right, and like we need to hear people say that kind of shit too, so we can sort of start to rewrite the way we look at this and approach it. You know? Well, I mean, if you think about it, if you look into it prior to this, and this is something I had to remind myself the other day when I was talking to my parents, and we were sort of talking on the phone, and I called them up and they said, "How are things going?" And I'm like, "Actually, pretty good, other than yeah. the coronavirus stuff, doing okay." You know, yeah. like being able to get the unemployment really helped me out. Totally. We talked about how that has literally changed the lives for a lot of people because they're able to catch up on their bills and they're able to catch mm-hmm. up on their finances right now. Mm-hmm. And it isn't, there's that school of thought where people are like, well, you know, if they're not making, if they're making more money, then they're not going to go to work. It's like, it's okay to give us a break. It's okay yeah, to right. allow right. us to catch up on debt, to us, us to catch up on these things. Because what it's doing is it's taking that pressure off of us that existed prior to this. Right. And that level of anxiety that we all sort of ran around with and started to make decisions on. So mm-hmm. you're making decisions on what jobs you're going to take. You're making decisions on uh, relationships. You're doing all these things based upon your anxiety and based upon your debts. And for a lot of people, these debts were uh, started and incurred before they were even adults. Yeah. And so you're trapped in this system. You're trapped in this consistent system of debt and, and paying fucking late fees and paying uh, interest rates, which is a big part of how this country makes its fucking right, money. Right. And so obviously those folks are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Everybody seems to be catching up and paying off their credit yeah. card bills. I just paid off two of my credit card bills and the credit companies, which I love, are, my credit goes down. Yeah. And they're just like, well, you need to be spending more on your cards. And you're like, okay, so this is a fucking racket. Yeah, right. This is a fucking racket. Um, So uh, for me, I think that being able to catch up on the bills, and I know you're the same way on this, Mm -hmm. being able to start to level out again puts me in like a lot less stressful mindset. Absolutely. And it's been nice to sort of even break the pace that we usually exist in as Americans, where it's, it's the rat race. And you mentioned earlier the different things that we're always hustling after that pace of make the decision fast, do it now. Because if you don't do it, somebody else is going to make the mm-hmm. decision faster or for you. And now mm-hmm. either they're going to win or you're going to have to deal with the choice they made. And it's been so sweet to be in that position of, of a break where I'm in the house. I, the only thing I can really do is go for walks, which, hey, that's actually kind of nice. You know, your finances are able to get caught up and you don't have to actually do anything other than just check in every two weeks and update the file. All right. Yeah. And it's not forever. But you look at the thing and you go, how long have people been working? 40 years you work 
And that's your lifelong career. And how many people that work even longer than that? Coming out of high school right into a job and you work, you know, 15, 20 years. I think for most average Americans, if you don't go right into college, you even at the age of 30, like I've been working 15 years at this point. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's fucking insane when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. And at that point at 30, you would think like, okay, you've been working 15 years. Like, What do you have to show for it? Well, nothing because it was bullshit part-time jobs during high school. It's mm-hmm. bullshit part-time jobs in the summer after that. Then it's like whatever you can find initially right away that checks the box because if you have to work and can't go to school, you probably need to just find something. Mm-hmm. And so that little eight bucks an hour because that's the minimum wage then or there is like, okay, yeah, if I'm going to take that, I'm going to take that because that's that's way better than the 625 over here that I was getting. Yeah, yeah. And then you do that for a couple of years. And you pick up some little skill or trade. And you go, well, I got to do this thing so that I make this useful. And then you do that for a little while. And the next thing you know, it's like your knees are aching, your back's hurting, you know, you're trying to make ends meet. And you're like, when the fuck did I fall into this thing? Right, right. When did this happen? And then you, you don't realize that stuff because you end up falling into a rhythm. Mm-hmm. And we love rhythms. So yep. we find these rhythms and we're in these rhythms. And then the next thing you know... You look around, you go, hey, I'm fucking 35. And, and then you have these midlife crises that yeah. really start kicking in. Yeah. And people are like, what the fuck have I done with my life? And this is not what I thought I would end up doing with yeah. my life. And how am I trapped in this? And then you also have to combat the, the consumerism mm-hmm. and like understanding like, hey, uh, I'm not happy. So maybe happiness is subscription to the service. Maybe happiness is this bill or buying this item. How many people during COVID, there's been a bunch of really great podcast episodes out there. And you guys know that I love uh, your mom's house and listen to Tom Segura's show. And they did a really good episode this week uh, about the cycles of depression for COVID and how they felt through these different cycles. And it's always fascinating when you're going through something. You know what's so interesting about this epidemic is that the entire fucking planet is going through it at the same time. Right. So there isn't an expert on how this happens. There isn't someone that's experienced this yeah. yet. And so prior to this, if you are you know, dealing with chemotherapy, there have been people prior to it that are like, here's what you can expect. You can expect you know, your hair right. potentially falling out. You can expect all these different steps. Or if like, you go through the process of a horrible breakup, they have mm-hmm. sort of rhythms that have happened for breakups and stuff that you right. can expect. No one knew shit about how anybody's going to react to uh, COVID, understanding that the entire planet is infected with it, and then understanding that you have to go into quarantine and what the aspects of quarantine were going to be emotionally for you. And then you tack on the fact that with the mortality rate, and you have so many people that, that die, that no pre-existing condition, no real issue, nothing going on, and then this person drops off. Well, now you're combating that depression and, and that grief, but at the same time, you can't really stay in that too long because you have to be thinking about, well, what, what am I doing and focusing on to make sure that I don't wind up in this position? Mm-hmm. Well, now the fear kicks in because now you're seeing the, the result of this firsthand and going, well, that shit can happen to anybody out of nowhere. Whoa, fuck. But I still got to go buy groceries. Yeah. So now you're moving around in, in complete fear, yeah. trying to just hold it all together and look sane and normal. Meanwhile political shit is going on all this other everything keeps happening and, and, and it feels like all the systems are sort of falling apart and then go well but people aren't working well yeah no shit man yeah i think we need we, maybe we need a little break right now this is not bad there's, yeah. a, there's a lot to process and yeah. so much data and nobody with the real right answers that maybe it is for the best to just be able to 
sit in the house and just kick back for a little while and, and work on the things that you actually were like, oh, I would have liked to write, start writing this thing. And that whole fucking idea that like in quarantine, we need to come out of this with like a new, a new gig and you got to be entrepreneurial and write that novel and lose all that weight. And fuck that shit, man. Like take the time to just fucking relax for a second. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cause it's the same. I think if we go into, or you exist in this space and Hey, if it's worked out for you and able to streamline a new source of income or if you've lost the weight, if you've picked up on a bunch of new hobbies, learned an instrument or language, that's fucking awesome. But if you took the time to just breathe and take a walk and just enjoy the shit that's around you, it's no shame in that either. No, dude, it's and, and part of the stages for me when I got into when I started this thing, I took it as that first opportunity where I'm like, I'm gonna bang on all this stuff, yep. I'm gonna do all this stuff. And in the beginning, yeah. I, I wanted to load myself up with as much to do because. It was a blessing in disguise because I have been so busy and I've been so involved with all this other stuff that I had this backlog of shit that I had to get through. Mm -hmm. And so for the first month, I just hustled hard and I was just finishing up post-production on projects and finishing up anything that I could possibly do. And then I caught up. So then I got to that point where I'm like, okay, now what? And then it was like, okay, so I'm going to create new stuff. And I started to build new projects for myself. And so... I'm hiding the stress of everything that's going on around me by jumping mm-hmm. into my work. So it's kind of like an ostrich putting its head in the hole and right. just like, I'm just going to fucking do my thing while everything else is going around. I'm just going to make my way through this. And one thing that I've learned as I got older, I've always tried to keep control over my my psych, my brain. So like, like it's like, I'm not going to be depressed. I'm going to try to take care of myself. I'm going to try to be completely aware of what's going on. And I often felt like I could just will my way through emotional turmoil. Like, mm-hmm. it's fine. I understand what's happening. I'm not going to let it affect me. It's fine. And one thing that I uh, came to understand is that regardless as to whether or not I think I'm driving this ship, like mentally, my body's going to do whatever the fuck it wants to do Yeah. in the background. And I realized that when I was in, back in Boston, when I was going through a lot of stress and breaking up a company and doing all that kind of shit, I ended up uh in the hospital we ended up going to the hospital because i was having what i thought was like heart pains and i was having all sorts of stuff and i'm like man i think there's something wrong and gina and i went to the hospital and sat down with the doctor and they're like this is anxiety this is stress and this is anxiety and i'm like i don't i physically don't have anxiety in my brain i'm not acknowledging any of this anxiety so i shouldn't be feeling any of this anxiety Mm -hmm. and it's like no your body is doing it yeah whether or not you want to admit that your body's doing it it's it's fucking doing it yeah and that same thing happened during this covid experience and you'll talk to a lot of people and they're like i'm exhausted i'm fucking exhausted and i'm tired Mm. and the first notion is like well what have you been doing all day like you've been like out there hustling hard and picking things up and like raking the yard and why are you so tired you forget that the constant stream of stress there was a point in time where the goddamn alert would go off on your phone like multiple times during the day, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you just can't fucking escape this thing. Yeah. And then add on to it the other stresses and the the social issues, which are all very important, but those stresses all come into the to the play. And so you're like six months into this fucking thing and you're just like, I'm depressed and I have a ton of fucking anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, with me, the interesting thing is, is I feel like I've sort of crossed the hump. So now I've sort of, become accustomed to what this lifestyle is and what this world kind of is doing for us. And there is, you know, hope on the horizon um, with the vaccines, which are really great. 
And uh, I was listening to Dr. Drew the other day, and he is still a practicing uh, doctor and uh, physician. And he was talking about how uh, amazing the advancements have been just in the past few months on how people actually treat COVID. And how, like, when you go in, they have systems in place, mm. depending upon your age bracket, depending upon your health issues, that help you recover from it pretty quickly, Yeah, which is great. And there's a lot of positive uh, research that's been going on out there. And a lot of these vaccines are fascinating. And the science, he was very excited. You should go listen to his podcast. It's a great podcast. I think it's on his website. Look up Dr. Drew's podcast. Um, but he was very excited about the advancements in technology and science technology and like gene mapping and everything that they're using mm. to find these cures and to find these uh, vaccines. Um, and he's like, look, obviously the media likes to focus on the neg, but there's a lot of positive shit going on. around yeah. this. I mean, look at the way that this is sort of made us all be present. Yeah. And, and take a look in the mirror, look outside and see the things that are happening because there's no distraction with like football basketball all these right. things movies everything that you can go distract yourself with outside of like you know your, your video game your tv but everything else it, the volume got turned off yeah you know and you have to sit with these things and go oh shit like yeah i don't want to acknowledge anxiety because like that's this like pop cultural issue this the hot button thing blah, blah 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 but then you're sitting in it now going wait is this what this feels like for people oh holy shit and now you empathize more yeah. You're watching, you know, these terrors that happen in the news. You're watching like the murders of black folks. You're being faced with these things that it might have been easier for some people to just kind of overlook that shit or or maybe just not even notice it somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and by being in that position, you're able to see some of the things that are going on and have more empathy for it. Yeah. And then the conversations change, right? Like for me, conversations I have with people about police brutality are totally different now because more folks are just tuned into this thing. Yeah. My patience and, and openness to conversations about mental health are more eager because I'm starting to see, oh, how this is affecting me in this way. Oh, shit. Like, I, I need to stop being an asshole about the way I approach <laughs> hearing people bring that up because on one hand, I can't be like, well, these issues affect me personally in my life and my family, so I think everybody else should come to the fucking front and acknowledge it. And then go, well, your issue is newer in terms of us talking about it. So, like, you're just being a fucking crybaby. Like, I have to give you also that time and space and listen to what you're saying about your mental health. And go, okay, well, dude, like, I get it. I see how that shit feels now. Being here where there's nothing else to do but face it and deal with it. Yeah. And in, in that way, man, I, I'm, I'm really grateful for what's happening because it's like we talked about yesterday. This awakening that's happening. And I think the best word for it is just empathy. Like, yeah. we're having more empathy for each other now and yeah. that's i mean if this is what it takes then i hope that in five ten years from now we look back at this and go wow look how far we've come in just this little bit of time and it sucked that COVID happened and these murders are happening george floyd happened all of this chaos is happening you've got the issues with with trump and the politics and the epsteins you got all this madness that's going on you go why the fuck is any of this that how is any of this happening it's things that seem so avoidable but if we can come on the other side of this thing with this level of empathy that we yeah. have and with this love for each other, I think we're going to do so much better and go so much further, not as Americans, as humanity. Yeah, yeah, and empathy is the term. And yeah. it's always a... We talked about this a little bit last night without going too far down that rabbit hole because we were up until like 2 a.m. Um, but 
uh, I think the issue that we've had with empathy prior to this is that the system that we are built on, which is this capitalist sort mm-hmm. of push system, is put your nose to the grindstone, find a goal, fuck everything else, go for that goal. Yeah. You want this thing, go for it. Tunnel vision. And the people that really succeed, we were talking about this, the people that really succeed, like the Michael Jordans, the the, the people that hit the fucking top, are really tunnel vision, hyper fucking focused. Right. And uh, it comes out, you know, this is stuff that's coming out about Ellen right now and how she mistreats, supposedly mistreats her employees and stuff. It's no surprise that the people that get to the top, mm. the people that get through everything, the people that get to that point where they're making millions, yeah. right? The yeah. only way you can get through all that stuff is you have to have this really sort of focused tunnel vision that's like all I give a fuck about is getting to that because the hurdles that they have to go through to get to that point, they give up personal lives, they give up family shit, they give yeah. up all sorts of stuff just to get to that mm-hmm. that end game. And if you watch documentaries on any of these celebrities that play up to that that level, if you watch the Lady Gaga doc that was on, yeah. on uh, Netflix, if you watch stuff on what the Kardashians do, they literally become a scheduled corporation. Yeah in order to get that kind of that, that level of money and the side effect of that is that you don't have time for empathy right because if you have time for empathy you're not able to step over that person you're not able to push that person aside mm-hmm. and take that opportunity and continue to push right. further with it and i don't agree with that stuff and we talked a little bit about that last night where we were talking about how i was watching the michael jordan doc mm-hmm. and how in the michael jordan doc essentially you sort of piece it together and it's like, well, the reason why he became so competitive was that his father seemed to like his brother more. Mm. And so he was taking that, I don't want to call it trauma, but he was taking that childhood history mm-hmm. and that urgency to become the best and using that as fuel. Yeah. So like that negative fuel pushed yeah. him hard to become more competitive. And then, what is that noise? That was weird. It's my fucking neighbor. Oh my God, Liam. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so as anyway. Liam puts the silencer on his pistol. <laughs> so, oh, I think it stopped. We're fine, guys. So, so anyway, anyway, hold up before I lose the stock. Yeah. Uh-huh. So then, <laughs> he was using all that negative sort of uh, experience as a positive reinforcement, as a as a as a as a goal pusher for himself to go through that process. Now, the question is, would we have a Michael Jordan if he didn't have that experiences? Mm. I don't know, and. The question is, would it matter? Would it matter if we didn't have a Michael Jordan? Would it matter if we didn't have someone at that level? We would still have someone that played really great basketball mm-hmm. that we would consider to be the best of the best. Yeah. So when you're looking back on it, if you're a huge fan of Michael Jordan, you're like, well, I don't care what he had to go through. It's like how people uh, give a lot of uh, credence, or they used to back in the 90s, to musicians with drug problems and drug addictions. Yeah. It's like you're not a real fucking musician unless you're going through some shit. Unless you're gonna fucking swallow a shotgun, you yeah. know. Then, then you, we celebrate Kurt Cobain. We celebrate all these crazies, and you're like, okay, but they had some serious fucking mental issues and mental problems, and th- no one was dealing with that, and they were being exploited. Yeah, and we as the fan base, if we're gonna soak up all of the offers from that that stems from what they put themselves through to get to that point yeah to reach that pinnacle then it's on us to have compassion for the fact that this moment 
sent you on this path, made you this person. I, as a fan of your thing, get to relish in this thing every time you pick up the ball, every time you strum the guitar, every time you write a song, every time you perform on camera. Right. But I have that empathy and compassion for the fact that it it's because of that that you're here doing this. You know, because yeah. it's not, it's like, it's, what was it for? Right. You know, and I think all those people at some point would probably love to hear the compassion from the fans. Not just that the fans love the thing you do, but the understanding of I know that because of this, this sent you this way, and it made you as great as you are in some regard, at least in your work ethic. But I, I, I but I hope you're okay. We talked about Will Smith. Yeah. And the, the, the history, I don't know if you've heard this, Liam, um, but... Will Smith has come out, well, he a while ago he talked about it in an interview. He said one of the main motivators for him to become as big of a star as he was was that he was dumped or broken up with. Oh, uh, yeah, a girl cheated on him. Right. And he said that he was convinced that if he could become the biggest movie star possible, that that feeling that he had of being second best, of being cheated on, that he would never have to feel that again. And then you look at... And unfortunately, because truthfully, his relationship with his wife, that's no one's business but theirs. Exactly. But since it's, it's out there now, and we can have this discussion for the sake of the point, that even him having reached that level of stardom that he dreamed of, and how in his personal life, things will still go wrong. There will still be issues and conversations to have. And I hope for the best for them in their marriage. But I look at that and go, okay, now as I proceed in my career... Don't be delusional and, and think that if I achieve that success, it's gonna fix like this that, thing. Yeah, it's gonna it'll fix, fix this, this thing. thing in me. I have to go work on the thing in me yeah. and hope along the way that, that that makes me and fuels me better. It's like we talked about Shia LaBeouf and his trauma growing up and the fear that as an actor, if I heal this trauma, if I work on this thing and, and make peace with it, do I lose this depth in my acting? Yeah, that's a big thing, right, for a performer, because you, you yeah. know with the acting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, if I get rid of this thing and I'm cool with that, then I won't be able to pull on that and get emotional. Well, sure, maybe, maybe that's not the motivator anymore, but maybe it's something else. Mm-hmm. Maybe healing that thing awakens something in you, and that's that, that, that heal, that, that scab now that's been healed. Maybe that scar, just knowing that I worked on that thing, Instead of this gaping wound, just that is, could be enough. And it, it just comes down to, again, us as a fan base having more compassion and consideration for these people and, and, and not just looking as like, well, you, uh, you're this, so I just want you to dribble the ball on this. Or you, I just want to hear you sing a song and then get out of here. I don't want to hear nothing from you. Right. Why is this guy hanging himself? He makes millions of dollars. Yeah. And like, it, and everyone it's, is human. Exactly. And if you see these people, like I, I continuously say that, if you see these yeah. people that hit this level mm-hmm. and, and in the modern... In the modern client of our economy, if you hit this level, you're doing some insane, like insane shit. Mm-hmm. For you to get into the millions and the fucking billions category, yeah, you know what I mean. So, I think that the bring it to bring it back to the point. I think that what this COVID experience has done for me, and I know for a lot of people that I talk to, it because we're taking away a lot of that rat race stress. Yeah. You're actually sitting and having these kind of conversations and you're examining these things mm-hmm. and, and watching these documentaries and understanding these things and looking for empathy. Yeah. And I think that understanding how both sides work on every aspect of the story, regardless to whether or not that person is quote unquote evil, regardless of whether yeah. or not that person deserves uh, some sort of 
sentencing because they do mm-hmm. you know ultimately you deserve sentencing for your action mm-hmm. but if you also look at that and go okay now let's understand why that happened mm-hmm. and what the systems are in place emotionally to create those things because what are we going to do are we a culture that prevents things or are we a culture that deals with things right because if you look at even going in when i first came back to la we went to protest that weekend And it was such a beautiful moment seeing everyone come together here. And it had dawned on me that we're, while the the murder of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd as examples are are something that that needs justice brought to it. Yes. What we also have to do is look at, while we're all here together and and, and paying more attention to this, let's talk about the fact that there are so many other people before these two that have just sort of been slid under the radar and, and blown past us because we were just so busy looking at every fucking thing else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not to take away from like any of the any of the work that's been done along the way. I just think on a larger scale, you know, like outside of the black community, where are those conversations happening? Now we're starting to see those conversations happen. And I think that's great that we're looking back and going, okay, so this is clearly a long standing problem. Yep. And okay, maybe now 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 you're listening to what we're saying about this cool okay so now that you're listening what are we going to do about this yep you know and try to keep moving it forward and, and cut these things off at the past i mean dude that even goes into like the mental health issues and stuff i mean particularly in like marginalized communities and black communities black families we don't talk about mental health like that it's yeah. just sort of like ah rub some dirt on it you'll be all right because we're so conditioned to like persevere overcome the hard shit move forward that's what we have to do that's just how our history has been there's no fucking way around it and so even when you have your own personal shit you're dealing with baggage from your childhood you go well great granddad taught granddad taught dad taught me that when shit gets hard you, you just, just deal fucking yeah. juggernaut and push to break through the wall and keep running and then it'll be fine and we're just here at this point now where it's like well that's not working anymore so at this point now we need to sit and pay attention to what's actually happening talk about it open these conversations up and i'm glad that other people open to those conversations so we can try to move the shit forward and figure out how do we fix this thing yeah because you know? i think a lot of people that find i think the older you get and crossing into the 40s you sort of see this you 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 start to see rhythms in your life and you start oh, to yeah. see you start to see patterns mm-hmm. and so you end up relying on those patterns as a way to make better judgments for your life. And those patterns become a comfort zone for you. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, I'm not going to drink that many beers because I'm going to end up with a fucking hangover the next day and I've done this. Or I'm not going to go sleep at someone's house that I don't know because I'm going to end up on the couch and my neck's going to be a fuck. There's there's always these simple little patterns and then it blows into bigger things where it's like, I'm not going to go into that neighborhood because I've had this problem and I've heard all these people that have these problems. And so the issue is that uh, as you get older, you try to create a safety net around you so that mm-hmm. the system that you're trying to achieve, and many of us don't do it, but some of us do get to that point where it's like, I finally did it. I got the job I want. I got the house I want. I got the girl I want. I got all that shit, and I need to protect that. Because now we talk about as humans, you hit that point, that peak point, and then you just slowly lose all that shit mm-hmm. on the way down. And so we try to build these fences around us for comfort and for, yeah. for that quality. And so when we make statements like the statement that you make, where we have to sort of assess these rhythms that have been put into place, mm-hmm. and these rhythms were important at that time. Like if your great-great-grandfather was dealing with some sort of shit, and he's like, you put your head down, you make your way through it, right. and that's going to work. That worked in the moment, but we're now seeing the long-term effects of that right. 
thought right. process. Because it's, you, you take a people that are beaten into the corner, and so they realize that like the best chance of survival is just kind of keep your head down and fucking move, yeah, and and just don't veer off the path too much. And that's, I mean, that's come from being enslaved, right? Like, that's, that's the key to survival is we'll be quiet. Okay, fuck. Well, I don't want to fucking die, so be quiet. Yeah. And we've just reached this point now where people are like, well, I don't have to fucking be quiet, so why the fuck do I want to be quiet for? Yeah. And good. It should yeah. be that way. Yeah, it should it. be that way. And so now as we do that, it's a matter of speaking up loudly, pushing back against this thing and the system that's been in place for so long mm-hmm. and changing that thing. And then looking at the allies that are with us and going, okay, cool. So what are we doing here? Yeah. And then you know, what is, once we how can I help you understand my perspective here? And then what is your perspective on this thing? Because if maybe your perspective is, is, is wrong in my eyes. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about that shit. And then I'm mm-hmm. excited about the next steps. Mm-hmm. Because for me, like once you, everybody gets on board, once everybody understands a little bit of empathy and understands that like this is a fucking problem and these are human beings and this is something that could happen mm-hmm. to me, this is something that could happen to anybody, mm-hmm. then you sort of have to get to this next level where it's like, where does it come from? Right. And who, who's manipulating and how is that happening? Mm-hmm. And where does this actually stem from? And I don't want to get too deep into it on the show because, uh, you know, I don't want to, have, you know, suddenly have a bullet come through the fucking window. But... Uh, you know, like if you look at the larger things, mm-hmm. then you're going to uh, see a lot of similarities. Yeah, that's what it's, it's the whole reason is issues like systemic racism and classism, where these are not new issues because it has succeeded and worked well for a small group for so long. Yep, that it's like these are the wars that we're fighting on the ground level. And I think once we're able to overcome and, and resolve that issue and, and fix that, like it's like the thing that this is gonna read the other day, and I was like, um, the the tweet said it was like black people are literally saying stop killing us, and there's still people going, but, and it's yep. like, dude, there's no but, there's no but here. No, you did. And there's no listen to here. that because what they're doing as that person is you're not listening to the statement, right? Because when a lot of folks hear that statement, they're they're immediately going, how does how do how am I killing you? How is it? How yeah. am I physically right. affecting you? Right. And that's not what the statement is. The statement mm-hmm. isn't like, "Hey, you should stop killing us." Yeah. The statement is, "We're being murdered." Mm-hmm. And so, if that statement was coming in any other way, yeah. And it's this weird sort of this cycle of storm because you have severe white guilt. So you mm-hmm. have like this issue of white guilt, and it's like, right. "What am I doing?" And how am I fucking people over? And what am I doing? So you're defensive. Mm-hmm. I think there's a big portion of this country that is incredibly fucking defensive mm-hmm. about this shit because yeah. they haven't processed that guilt. Right. They don't know if right. that guilt is meant, if they need to have that guilt, they don't understand what, where it comes from or how, it, mm-hmm. how it's being processed or what their actions are doing. Well, here's the thing. So I think with, with white guilt that white folks will feel, if... You, you, to me, you can't have the guilt without being guilty. So if you feel white guilt, well, then maybe just check some shit in your past or you know that's in you that needs res- resolution. Sure. Otherwise, that feeling you have that you don't like is just empathy. You're feeling the sadness of watching these acts happen on TV. You're feeling yeah. the, the overwhelm because you're inundated so constantly and now you're going, holy shit, this happens this much? Yeah. Yeah. This is what y'all been talking about? Yeah. It sucks, doesn't it? And it feel, you feel that pain. And 
that to me, that's not white guilt. That's you being a good human being. Yeah. That you see these things happen and can be moved by it. But you have to process that. Right. You physically have to realize right. that Both that's what you're feeling. Process. Yeah, you have to realize yeah. that. And I think a lot of people are unfamiliar with empathy. Because mm-hmm. empathy Very is a true. sign of Very fucking true. weakness. Empathy mm-hmm. has been a consistent, especially with males. Yeah. It's, a, it's a sign of fucking that's weakness. That's what it's taught to us. Yeah. Oh, you don't, don't do this and that. That's... that's that's for women. What are you fucking baby? Yeah, that's a big thing. Like, what mm-hmm. are you fucking baby, and why do you do? So it's, yeah. a, it's how hard. many times growing up as a kid does any guy hear, "What are you a pussy?" Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and you, you hear these things, or or if if you show any trait of sensitivity, oh, you gay? Yeah, it's was like, a big well, thing. that's not. How, if that were even the case, how would that have anything to do with the fact that I'm feeling a human emotion? Yep, it, it, and it doesn't devalue either of those things in any way. What does devalue is another man looking at a man dealing with an emotion and instead of embracing and allowing him to feel that emotion mm-hmm. and consoling him and offering that space that this is okay. Mm-hmm. It is perfectly fine for a man to feel this. Let that out. Well, I mean, because there's, there's a lot of career paths where you're not allowed to do that. Right. You know, cops being one of them, but also like the military. Oh, and, yeah. And there's a big reason why post-traumatic stress syndrome is a huge deal where... Mm-hmm. There, you have to be trained yeah. because who with empathy who in their fucking right mind would run across a fucking field and shoot someone in the face right and so without training these people to have no empathy yeah you're not going to have a military in which you can assert your dominance with right and so it's because nobody's putting together a fucking troop of soldiers to be like, we're going out and giving hugs, and that's right. going to change everything. Hey, guys, that's not the fucking plan. you're all armed with megaphones, and let's go talk this out. Like, yeah, that's not that's the not purpose it. of that. And you, you look into history, and I'm not going to relate it to modern history, even though we could, but you look back into history, the military was not used to deal with problems. The military was used to take things, and that's essentially yeah. what it's there for. And you can look at that training and then assess, because we've, I've done a bunch of docs on how police are trained. I was at a police training uh, facility in uh, Detroit. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so I actually got to see how they're trained. And they're trained very much in the same militaristic values. Mm-hmm. And because the military, the, the police force, I think in the 80s, the police force became very much like a militarized police right. force right. for that simple fact that when you needed to get things done, you send the cops out and the cops yeah. do it. Um, and we talked, there's all sorts of stuff. I don't want to get too deep into this, but we, we talked about how uh, it's empathy. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, it's just straight empathy and understanding yeah. empathy. And for a lot of folks, this is a new skill right now. Mm-hmm. And it's because we have the time to acknowledge that, that this is a skill right. right now. Well, you made an awesome point yesterday talking about the response that we have to things uh, in terms of policing. And how uh, a cop could maybe fuck up in some way and get traffic duty. And I'm, I don't know that world, so I don't know how long that would last. Maybe you get traffic duty for a month. And then now you're done and you're put back out in the field. And then you're responding to a 911 call for a domestic incident. And, you know, there's, it's, it's violent. And you're showing up with 30 days of talking to construction workers and standing in the fucking hot sun, feet killing you and just waving people on and on. And then now you're put in this position that could lead to a life and death choice. Yeah. And we, you, you made a really good point of talking about the way it can change is having someone with training and with a background or, or a department who these people are responders to domestic abuse calls. 
or domestic violence calls. That's these people get sent because they have the training in those arenas to be able to circumvent and de-escalate those situations and figure out how they're specializing that. Okay, there's a child thing over here. So we send somebody who deals with that. Yeah. Oh, well, there's a, a violent criminal. Okay, so we send this person who can negotiate and we send the other person with the gun with them. You know, but we, we there should be the different ways of mediating and breaking that down because to have essentially just soldiers show up to address any issue, it just seems like an overkill. It, and and, and yeah. the results show that it's overkill because you'll have... What was it? I think Tamir Rice, kid who gets shot and he's just hit a toy gun. Yeah. And it's just, you know, that fight or flight moment because that person, that cop, completely wrong. And in their mind, they're a soldier. Yeah. So they're showing up and going, ah, no, I was doing the soldier thing. It's this piss poor fucking training. Yeah. Totally, dude. Totally. And then using a hammer. Exactly, Leo. And and then you hit this point where then you have to ask the ultimate question Mm -hmm. in the capitalist race to the top. Is that matter at all? Does it matter at all that you want to spend the time and money to train different different departments? You want to train these people to go in to physically help humans. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the purpose, or are you sending in a bunch of cops because there's a developmental company that wants to come in and take over and gentrify this whole neighborhood? Right. So you go and you arrest most of the fucking people out of that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So you, you, I think at the end of the day, I don't know. This is dangerous territory. But I think at the end of the day, you really sort of have to process what our goals as a species are, mm-hmm. what our goals as a community are, what our goals as a nation are. Mm-hmm. And then the shit that we teach. So we teach this shit in colleges, man. We teach yeah. this shit. You go to Harvard fucking, you, you, you learn this shit. Yeah. You learn how to become, there's this term, I fucking hate this line, where it's like, it's not personal, it's business. Yeah. That sums up everything. Yeah. It's not personal, it's business. That line essentially says shut off empathy mm-hmm. and drive. Right. And that's why these systems have been allowed to thrive for so long, man. I mean, look, it, it, you've been saying dangerous territory. I'm going to go dangerous territory for a second. So if you look back as far as like looking at the depiction of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And then the Bible places that in a very real geographical location mm-hmm. and nobody in those locations looks like the image that we're given of right course. Mm-hmm. Of course. and so you go okay and then you see versions where judas is depicted as as darker skin as a black man a little bit more accurate to that area geographically and so you have this juxtaposition of now we're saying this is perfection and this is what it looks like and this this guy betrayed perfection and this is what that looks like and that to me is there starts the beginning of this problem. Yeah. We're, totally. we're, we're, we're sort of drip fed that imagery, drip fed that narrative. And re- religion in particular is such a conduit and a backbone for so many people in their belief system naturally. And so they're not going to argue and sway against that thing because, well, I'm not going to be the one that says something again. I can go to fucking Jesus. hell for that. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to fall in line with this thing. And then you have these issues that continue to arise and these systems that that abuse marginalized people because it's so deep-seated and long-rooted that no one wants to question it. No one wants to challenge it or kick the bee's nest. And then if you are someone who decides, I'm going to have the balls to speak up loud enough and fucking say something, 
Look at if, if imagine if an actor like when um, Marlon Brando refused to go and accept his Oscar because he was pissed off at the treatment of the native people from the American government, and he sent someone from one of the tribes to go on his behalf, decline the Oscar, and say why, and say it from her own words. And where the fuck did his career go? Now, mind you, I'm sure his own actions have a lot to do with that as well. Sure, sure. But I don't think it would be much of a different result if any actor decided, I'm not going to accept the Oscar because Black Lives Matter, and I think we need to put more emphasis on making sure people of color are represented in more executive offices and more of this, this shift needs to happen. Well, then what would happen to their career after that, right? Look right. at the JFKs of the world that we talked about. The people that get to a point where they decide to speak up and blow the whistle on things and they get fucking shot in the face. Or they disappear. And so you have to look at that and go, okay, if this is continually happening, there is a definitely a much larger problem here that needs to be resolved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're probably not going to live through, the, through 2021 <laughs> with this if you release this, by the way. <laughs> but, but there's a much bigger problem at large that's happening. And I think as we continue to fight for this equality and we... And we I hope to God one day we get there. Then at that point, I hope we're also teamed together and united in a way that we can look at this bigger fucking issue that's going on in the backdrop and the shadows and go, okay, let's shine the fucking light over here and fix whatever the fuck that is because that is destroying the fucking world. And you also have to think as being a Generation Xer, you have to think in the background like there's a good reason why they don't want everybody on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you when you think about that stuff and uh, I am so going down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, <laughs> you don't even want to get me started right now, right? <laughs> dude. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that was just a piece of what we talked about last night. It's it's nice to uh, just be able to talk about these things with a human being in a in in the flesh, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. because right now we have so much stock in. Right. social media and we have so much stock in in non-emotional exchanges and yeah. we have so much stock in like memes and fucking like smiley faces and none of that shit is actually uh what someone's like how often do you write laugh out loud and you're sitting on the fucking couch pissing Straight yourself face. yeah like it's it doesn't actually mean anything and when you go out what we're missing right now is we're not out so when you mm. actually physically go out the real world is a lot different than it is on social media right now. Yeah. And people are acting a lot different than it is on social media right now mm-hmm. for good and bad reasons. And so I think that having these conversations are great because we sort of get to explore these territories. And dude, I don't fucking know. These are all stupid theories. I, I would like those theories not to be correct. I would like right. to learn something new about these theories. I would like to be able to express ideas with other people and have them come back with their ideas. And we talked about this specifically yesterday. Mm -hmm. The goal of a conversation is to have a conversation with someone with the the goal of coming out of it with something new. Yeah. Not getting into a conversation to fucking hammer someone down with your knowledge. Mm -hmm. Because if that's why you start a conversation, then shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd rather have you get involved with a conversation with me Understanding that your experiences that I don't have mm-hmm. and my experiences that you don't have together mixed in this soup are going to create a new fucking outlook. Mm-hmm. That's the purpose of conversation. Right. Right. That is the purpose of like right. doing a fucking podcast. That's the purpose of any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you have to be someone that has to be right, remember when you prove yourself right, 
and you're at that point in the conversation where your body's shaking and your fucking yeah. chemicals are going and you're like i'm fucking right about this you're you're jacked up right there you're mm-hmm. getting jacked up with all sorts of fucking like chemical fucking inputs in your brain you're loving that shit you're getting off on that shit and then there's nothing worse than being the person at the end of it all going see i told you because no one wants to be around you no one gives a fuck about you after that because it's just like this asshole god forbid you are right mm-hmm. then what you literally have to turn to your friends and the people that are around you afterwards and go so what else is new yeah that's why i feel like anytime i've especially over the last month or so getting into conversation with folks where it's completely asinine point of views coming my direction and challenging what my opinion is on the current state of the world and i just look look man well based on my experience as a black man this is what i believe this is how i feel i disagree with you this conversation not getting anywhere yeah but it's not on me to re-educate you as another adult yeah so fuck it yeah you you hit a point with folks where you have to you have to assess whether or not having the conversation is actually having good results yeah and some folks i think you know what if you're not like i had somebody tell me they're like you know i'm scared to go i'm scared for my my son and my husband to go out into the world because people are being so racist against us this is these this is a white family and i was like well that's (laughs) happening to you in delaware where it's rural as hell like Mm -hmm. i don't know if i don't know if you're in that much danger i think you're probably fine you might get some funny looks more often than not but i don't think you're acting like you should be worried at all yeah and because that conversation was clear she upset at what i had to say my perspective that's totally her place i can't hey that's fine you're that's i can't dictate how you're supposed to feel based off the shit i say but if this conversation is clearly not going to go anywhere me sitting here and trying to educate you is just me deciding that I need to teach you something. Right. And then what am I getting out of it? Yeah. Well, it's not going to change how I feel about the world and my perspective. It's not changing the fact that I feel like I'm right. And I don't think you're making a good point here. But fuck it. Move on. See, something else along the way will be the moment that teaches you. Mm -hmm. And then your perspective will shift. And then maybe we'll come get to come back to this conversation. You go, ah, shit. You know what? The last time we talked, you know, I I, I thought of it like this and this. I'd had this happen to me or this conversation over here. I kind of changed my mind on this. And now we're having a different conversation. But you know what? If, if we're going to disagree, that's okay. We can disagree and walk away from this. Maybe it's just not the conversation for us. Yeah. You will have that with somebody else. I'll have this conversation with somebody else. Maybe we'll get to come back together and that'll be a conversation for us to have. The thing that's so fascinating is that I think we, I, like I talk about this with the business. Mm-hmm. When we're younger, we're very impatient. Mm-hmm. Because when we're younger, you're looking for new ideas. You're consistently yeah. looking for new ways in most of the time because the people that are older than you are protecting what they have. And so they're closing up doors. They're closing up those things because the younger generation is going to come in and take that stuff from them, which is, you know, the danger of it. And so when you're younger, you're consistently looking for new ideas and you find new ideas and a younger generation, from my opinion, by the way, younger generation always seems to feel like they're fucking geniuses where they're like, I figured out something completely brand new and figured out this whole thing. We did it in the seventies. We did it in the sixties. We did it in the eighties. We did it in the 90s. Every younger generation is like, I know more than the person in front of me. I know more than these people. And then they end up just getting right into the same rhythm. Mm -hmm. They find, they get past a certain age. You get out of your 20s. You get into your 30s. You start to find these rhythms. You start to get some of the stuff that you've always wanted. You're battling your midlife crisis. You're going through all that stuff. And now you're protecting things. Mm -hmm. And so we have these rhythms as a species, regardless of what's happening. 
One thing that a lot of people uh, forget is that it takes us time to learn. Yeah. Like it takes us time to process. It mm -hmm. takes time to go through right. this stuff. And so if you're having a conversation with somebody, the most that, when I get into a bullheaded conversation with someone, the most that I hope for is that something goes in there and it just stays in there for a while. I don't mm -hmm. expect to walk out of that conversation and have them go, oh my God, I never thought about that. Yeah. I expect them maybe two years, three years down the line, four years down the line, mm -hmm. when they actually get out of that age that they're in, they get out of that situation yeah. that they're in, they start to develop a bit more empathy because they've seen death in real right. life, they've seen things right. that have happened, and then they come back and they go, remember that conversation? And I've had a lot of folks, and I've done this myself, yeah. where I've reached out to people that I've had conversations with in the past, and I go, you know, I never really thought about it, but you made a lot of fucking sense. Mm. And it only makes sense to me now because I've had that time. Yeah. And so there's a level of patience. Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with stuff that is happening so quickly, and it's so immediate, you gotta understand for some folks, they just need that fucking, they need that time. Yeah. It's like we talked about with, you know, like the whole Instagram posts and, and, and which you're, which, how do you choose to respond to these things? And um, Liam, I was telling Mike yesterday, you know, like, I've had conversations with friends where we talk about like in the black community, you're, 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 so, you're, you're, you're so used to already seeing this that this is not news for us. And you start to feel like, well, I got to speak up and say something too. And you do it and you do it and you do it and you do it. And no one ever really checks in and says, hey, look, I understand how taxing this is. Don't feel like, take a break today. You don't have to post something today. Like, go, go, why don't you just go do something that you enjoy and take a break from this shit because it's hard. You know, and then that getting that conversation from somebody was such a relief. And I was like, yeah, because I didn't realize the fact that I was I was dealing with this and it, the, the thing I was feeling. And I just felt this need to like have to speak up naturally. Of course. Of course. And you don't realize that it's OK to take your foot off the gas and check in with yourself. Make sure you're OK. Yep. And having somebody do that for you and offer that is so comforting. And I looked at that and said, you know, this is part of the problem is everyone feeling like. The work is done on my Instagram post. <laughs> now, that's a great way to share information, right? Mm -hmm. Here's where protests are. Here's numbers you can call. Uh, if you're feeling depressed, here's numbers you can call for help. Here's avenues and resources that are available for you. That's the beautiful thing of that, that space that we have, that connectivity we have, is to share resources with each other, open the door for dialogue and conversations, and know that you're not alone. And now, it doesn't matter what, what the issue you're coming at, you're not alone. Yeah. But then the work to fix the problems is what you do out in the world. That's, that's the, okay, in those moments when I'm faced with uh, something that is evil, am I speaking up against that thing? Am I protecting people in, in a moment of harm? Am I able to show up for somebody that no one else would typically show up for? And I think that's where the work is done. And this idea that, well, but you didn't post anything. Yeah, but you don't know what that person does in their normal life, you know? Yeah. And I think there are, and I think with some of the issues going to such a grand scale, yeah, there's definitely certain um, companies or, or people that were like, yeah, I want to hear from you because you benefit so much from this thing. I kind of want to hear what you have to say on this matter or, or how you're going to help implement change in your business because your business is such a part of this thing that's going on. Sure, sure. But as an individual, I don't look at Mike and say, well, Mike, why didn't you post anything? Where's your post at? Where's your eloquent paragraph caption at? 
No, because I'm more looking for when I'm with you and a moment arises, how do you respond to that? Yeah. Because that to me in the moment is who you are as a man and that is that moment there. Yeah. And now, is everyone going to get it right every time? No. So we take this with a grain of salt, but it's still... I don't want to say under investigation, but it's still something that we pay attention to. Of course. And I think we should have that accountability for our friends and our peers. And if we see that, ah, you know what? I had, I had a friend recently I had to let go because it just there was conversations and things. There was a joke being made um, about a doctor's appointment. I don't go into too much detail because it, it, it'll, it'll get real specific. But a joke was being made about a doctor's appointment. And when the joke was done, I said, okay, so... The point, the punchline of your joke was that this person, because of how they looked and because of their name and how they talked, you assumed that that meant they couldn't do their job well, and then they did their job so well that it surprised you. That that was like, that was a punchline? Yeah. Okay. Well, I just think maybe next time have a better fucking joke, man. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, right, 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 right. That right. one just didn't yeah. do it for me. Am I going to punch you in the mouth and leave your house? No. I just think, come on. You, you I think... I think read the room, know who I read am, the know room. who you're talking to. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you want to have that joke by yourself and I'm not here, I can't do nothing about that. That's your fucking business. Sure. But have the fucking respect for me. I'm standing in front of your face. Don't bring that shit to me, man. That does nothing for me. It just feels like they're not, at that point, especially with jokes, if you're not a comedian, yeah, jokes are fucking... Jokes are like, here's a good way for me to break the ice. Here's a yeah. good way for me to get into a conversation. Yeah. If you're if you're talking to somebody and they're throwing jokes at it, it's like, okay, so I'm feeling a little awkward right now, so I'm going to connect with you with a joke. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people just lack the ability, it's empathy again, lack the ability to read the fucking room Yeah. where you're just like, hmm. And look, I've said a lot of stupid shit uh, being someone that when I was younger, just trying to figure out how to break up the room, how to break up. Yeah that environment and so you test a lot of things and you'd say a lot of dumb shit but you can you should be able to make those mistakes mm -hmm. but then you should also be learning from those mistakes and then you right. look at it and you go okay everything i say has a repercussion whether or not it's whether or not i think i deserve it right. it has a repercussion and so then part of getting over that is sitting there going i know so if i say something shitty I know I'm going to get a reaction out of people. Yeah. I either want that reaction or I don't want that reaction out mm -hmm. of people. And so being someone that wants to communicate with people and have conversations and, and be right. involved in this, I know we're off on like a really interesting tangent here, but this plays into directing. This plays into movie mm -hmm. making. Like if you want to get people to be inspired by your job, by your work, by your ideas. You need to learn to communicate. You need to learn how to read the fucking right. room. Right. And you need to understand that everything that comes out of your mouth, like we're doing right now, has repercussions. Right. And so those repercussions, you have to go through them initially. You mm -hmm. have to experience that yourself. You have to go yeah. like, I said something fucking terrible. Whoa, the room goes down. You go, yeah. how do I feel right now? Dude, I remember um, a casting director one time it was a bunch of us get called in for this uh, for this audition for this series, and um, the the most that we knew was that this character um, was they were deciding if the character was going to be played by a, portrayed by a black actor or a Hispanic actor. That's yeah. pretty much like as much details we knew outside of what the sides were, because this character is this person's cousin, so it could go this way or this way. And and you're in the room, you're looking at everybody, you're seeing people that look like you, going, okay, cool. So they're they're right here in this spectrum of guys. Awesome. Great. 
And we all have an idea of what to do with this performance. Everyone's mm-hmm. got their own thing they're going to do with it. Mm-hmm. And you've got people from... I, I know a guy who's literally from um, Juilliard who's here. Like, you've got a, such a wide spectrum of people. People who've probably never acted before. And the casting director comes out, and um, after a few auditions, you can tell she's frustrated. It's all over her face. She's just not getting what she wants in the room. And she comes out, and she goes, so when you guys come in here, you know... Um, this is I'm looking for you to know, like, do the dialogue, you know your lines, but ham it up, you know, and, and really put something in it, you know what I mean? And we're, no one's really getting what this means to put something in it, because as actors are going, well, well, yeah, I'm planning on putting my thing in it when I go do this. Like, that's, okay, so can you give me something a little more specific? She goes, you know, come in and now I'm saying yo, 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 and this and this. <laughs> and we all just, like, looked around the room like, is this bitch serious right now? It what is, does that do for the fucking that's not even like and, the, and mind you the character is di- dialogue is written so eloquently and it does so it doesn't make any sense to even add that attribute and she goes back in and my buddy from Juilliard turns looks at me and he goes yo 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 huh that's what we're doing today yeah <laughs> and I just it, it fucking and you look at that and you go this is somebody in the business who as a as a casting director is in that moment giving direction mm-hmm. so that hopefully the actors come in, take that note, apply it in a way, and deliver a thing that the pe- the the producer likes, director likes. They cast that person. Fuck yeah! Every time we come here, they know how to give good notes to the people that come to audition. We find the right guy and gal. This is a good relationship, and they make money too. So hey, and then we get the look because we get to go on screen, and that's a credit, and that does good things for us. While you know that all of that is part of the system, that mm-hmm. that's all a part of the relationship that happens as soon as one of us step our ass in that room, mm-hmm. do me a favor. Don't be an asshole about the notes you give me. Don't yeah. be an asshole about because the, you because you think, oh, so you, you're oh, you so you should talk like this because mm-hmm. that's going to that's like what that character is like. Well, that's your perspective in, the, in, in that world. But that's can, how about you just let me show you what I have mm-hmm. and show you in a personal way that we are more than just the sum of the words yo 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 <laughs> I laugh at this because I see it from the other side so yeah. I'm in that room okay so you're in <laughs> I wish you would have been there for that shit <laughs> dude I'm in that room so you're in that room and you're doing like this like was this a commercial or was this a no it's for a series okay so I, I see this stuff from like commercial stuff mm-hmm. so you're in that room and you've got you've got a, a lineup of the day so when you're casting for stuff, you send to a casting agency, you go, look, here's the characters that I need. These are the mains, these are the principles I need, but these are also the other characters that are kind of written in it. And background characters are often just sort of written in it and sort of picked like furniture. You know, like I'd, I'd like uh, this, like a green couch right. and a red chair. Right. And so you're, you're in that space, you send it to the agency, depending upon your budget for the agency, the agency does the legwork, right? And so you start dealing beyond their star players in their portfolio, they're essentially just looking for couch colors. So they're just like, get me a green couch, get me a blue couch, get me a red couch. Let's bring in those fucking options. We'll bring them into the space. They're not spending the time with you guys and knowing that, hey, Lance comes from this history. Lance speaks like this. Lance has these things. Mm -hmm. If they wanted the yo, yo, yo thing and they weren't getting the yo, yo thing, they could have literally found without coming out and asking for that, they could have found people that they have in their roster that come from that way of speaking, that come naturally. It comes naturally to them. And the filmmakers in that room are looking for that. 
They're looking yeah. for, because they have like a stereotypical part that they've cast right. for, where it's like, I've seen this on TV somewhere, and the characters that normally play this character are usually street. And so what, from my opinion of what street is, this is what they should be doing. So they're specifically mm -hmm. looking for that. What happens if you're a good filmmaker, what happens is, is that you, uh, what I try to do when I, when I cast for parts like that is I want to be surprised. Mm -hmm. Because to me, that's stereotypes. That's a mm -hmm. stereotype. Yeah. And most of the time, if you're writing an idea in a fucking, if I'm sitting here at the desk at my laptop and I'm writing an idea about a, a group of people that I've never been embedded with and have no idea from, but I need to have them in the story to make sense for the story, mm -hmm. what am I doing? I'm pulling from what I've seen. I'm yeah. pulling from movies. I'm pulling from fucking mm -hmm. TV. I'm pulling from what I've read or shit that I see on like Instagram. Yeah. You're looking for that kind of stuff and you're like, oh, and then as you find that character on Instagram, you're mm -hmm. like, oh, this character's great. And then you start to circle around that. So then when yeah. you get into the casting session, you're like, I was looking at that guy from Instagram and that's who I think should be playing this. It's like using a, a temp track for fucking score. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? But the trick is to get into the room and know that tell the casting agency this is the type of guy i'm looking for so put some in the lineup yeah like give me some of those but also give me some surprises yeah because i am using you to introduce me to humans mm -hmm. that's essentially what casting is yeah you're being introduced to human beings and how they act in real life and what it is that they do yeah and so that room and i'm totally speculating but that room in my opinion didn't see that thing that they saw, whether it was like, mm -hmm. hey, uh, I really love The Wire and I want to get yeah. this guy and this guy in here from The Wire, which happens all the time. A lot of the Russian actors that I work with, we mm -hmm. talk about this all the time, typecast yeah. for being Russian and everything that happens yep. with that. Um, so from an, I always say to actors, remember when you're going into these sessions, they're buying couches. And if you're not the leads, if you're mm -hmm. not the people that have a draw, yeah. they're not going to casting agencies to find that. Yeah. They're having quiet conversations with the casting directors right. behind the scenes. Right. When you're in those chairs and you're out there doing these casting calls, they're buying couches. Yeah. And so your hope, and this is why I have nothing but the utmost respect for actors, your hope is that you're going to find some, I can use the word again, it's the, I think this is the title of the show, empathy. Mm -hmm. You're finding people that have mm -hmm. empathy, have the ability to find what is special about you yeah because that's what you want to sell right your life experiences the shit that you've been through everything that's involved with that and i have the utmost respect for you and the guy that you were sitting there with who mm -hmm. were just like yo 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 it's like i wouldn't respect that as a director if you came no. in suddenly and you were like yo 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 and you were street and then we got on set and i was having a communication with you and your lance i would have been like so are you fucking lying yeah that's, that's and there's the difference between like the performance and who you are. The, the, the thing I think is like when you're if you're able to have that empathy as a director or casting director, then you know how to communicate to me what it is that you desire from this character, which yep. you would like to see in a way that is not going to insult me as a person at the same time. Yeah. And I don't see that that should be that difficult. Yeah. You know, I think it hits a point where we're all fucking adults. You know, it's not hard to not be an asshole in the morning. <laughs> that's really it's not hard to wake up and not be a piece of shit. It's really not. Yeah, yeah. But some people have trouble with that. And this is why we have these conversations, right? Is because it needs to have the light shine on it. But that would be my thing is like when I come in, acknowledge me as the person that you've hired, that you've chosen for this job. Give me whatever note you have for me. 
and I'll do the best of my ability to work within those but in those lines and try to draw this thing for you. Mm-hmm. Don't disrespect me along the way, yeah. because this is my time and I'm here and I want to I want to have a good time with this thing. You know. Well, a lot of people just don't. I think I think the process. Have you ever done a casting session? Yeah. Yeah. The process of casting people is such an exhausting, mm-hmm. it's an exhausting session. And when you bring people into a room and you're looking at over 30 people in a day, you start to lose sight of it. Mm-hmm. That's why they videotape casting sessions. Yeah. And so then you're like interacting with people and you're trying to go through this. So it's an exhausting process. Now, I'm not giving excuses for assholes. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that. I understand I'm empathetic towards what it's like to be in the room and and how exhausting it is to reset every time a person comes into that Mm -hmm. space and go, tell me about yourself. What's going on? How are things going? And what's this thing about? Especially under the, that tunnel vision of like, just push hard, push hard, push hard, push hard. Let's get through this. Let's get through this day. Um, And so I understand both sides of it. I have a lack of respect for people that don't respect humans. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a big problem with people who aren't empathetic towards actors that come into the yeah. space. If you come read for me, and I said this on the show with Rick, if you come read for me, I try to make it, I give you two or three times to read. Mm-hmm. You come in and you perform because if anything, I'm probably not gonna give you the part, but what I can provide to you that day is the ability for you to come in and practice reading. Right, work on those nerves, work on that moment. And that's the thing, that, and, and it could be me just being naive in terms of, you know, I've been a been part of castings for shorts and little indie projects, but only a handful of times, right? And, and for me, coming from the space of an actor and, and stepping into that lane with it, I always found it so exciting. Yeah. Everybody that came in, I said, wow, this might be the person. And yeah. they leave. Next person, wow, this might be the person. And if, it, it still feels like that when, when we do work on things, like uh, with Chase in particular, and it's exciting to me because there's the unknown there. Mm-hmm. As an actor, I understand how good that feels when you walk in the room and people in the room look like they're glad you're here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you might not be the right person for the job. I don't know that. This might not be the right fucking project for me. But if we could walk in this room and everybody feel like, cool, let's do this. Let's see what happens. It's a much better feeling. A much better feeling. Dude, I agree. And and then you meet, I get to meet Lance. There, yeah. there are times when we were casting for commercials and music videos, there are actors that I've never worked with that I loved their read and they stay with me forever. Yep. Uh, there was this one guy who I fucking love. He was this dude that came in, a big bodybuilder, big dude, big mm-hmm. tough guy, fucking jacked out, <laughs> you know? And he comes in and he was super nervous and uh, th- we had this bit where the actor was supposed to address the camera. I don't know if I ever told you the story. The actor was supposed to address the camera. And so he was really nervous and he was delivering the lines the wrong way. And I was like, okay, okay, look, this is what I need you to do. Just address the camera when you do this stuff and deliver the lines to the camera. And he goes, I got you, I got you. And I was like, okay, are you good? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, and he turns around and he goes, camera that's the first thing he says he, <laughs> he literally addressed the, the camera <laughs> camera and he addresses the lines Dude. The camera. let me tell you a story of of me of me doing that <laughs> so i'm in atlanta and uh lee daniels is casting for his tv series 
Uh-huh. And I go into audition and I get a callback. And I get the notice for the callback, literally leaving the casting office, walking back to the MARTA. And I get the call. I'm like, oh, well, what time? It's five o'clock. It's like 11 a.m. Yeah. I'm like, would literally, if I go home right now, by the time I go home, I would sit for maybe a half hour, hour, and have to turn around and come right the fuck back here. And that would be cutting it close. So fuck it. So I just stay in Atlanta and I just walk around rehearsing my lines, rehearsing my lines. I have like a whole fucking suit on for this thing. So it's just, and it's summertime in Atlanta. It's hot as hell. I'm like just fucking sweating. Like I'm in Baptist church right now. Just, just doing my thing, ready to go in here. And I go in and uh, I do the read. And as, mind you, before going in, the, the show, they were also auditioning um, singers for the show. Okay. Uh, because it was about a, 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 a girl group, I believe. And so you're hearing these amazing singers. And it's Atlanta. It's a huge music town. So you're also seeing singers that you recognize coming and going. You're like, holy shit. Wow. I go in here and I'm just going to act. I got to fucking bring it because I'm hearing people blast it off from the other side of the wall. Like they are whoever's in there right now. And Lee Daniels, I know, is in there. They are getting so blown away by the caliber of talent that we can all hear out here. Yeah. That when I go in here and just fucking talk (laughs) and pace in my little fucking and try not to get off my x mark of tape i gotta bring it so okay so i go in we do the scene the scene is me coming to um sort of like um what's that john q's like john q's music where he goes up and he like talks to the girl from the downstairs say anything yeah. saying so it's like i can say anything moment where i go and i'm trying to sweetly talk to the girl that i like to have her come down to just like take a walk with me sure sure and so i do it and i play it really sweet and like this whole thing and i'm like okay just you know let the lance thing you know we're just Give them you, and let's just see what happens. They give me a note. Okay. And so I'm like, all right, so I'm going to push a little more for this. So I do it again. And Lee Daniels goes, I want you to tell her what you want. What do you think he wants? I was like, kind of seems like he wants to like sleep with her. Like He's sweet about it, but I feel like deep down, like maybe that's more of the motive here. And like... This seems like this character is written to be really sweet, but later on in this show or series, we'll find out he's a dirtbag. And he goes, so, so tell her that. Let her know that. Okay, okay. So I said, oh, okay. I got you. He goes, you got me? I said, I got you. <laughs> and my stupid ass literally turns my back to them for a second to kind of like, oh, okay, fucking, get it? Cool. As I turn back, I tossed my sides on the little speaker that was there because I was like, I don't fucking need those now. Let's do this. And we do the scene. And we're going back and forth. And I find the moment where we're back and forth here. She's not coming downstairs. Tell her what you want. I said, I want you to come downstairs so I can fuck you. <laughs> and he goes, what? What? No. What? And Lee Daniels just puts his head in his hands and goes, do you want this job or not? Oh, and I said, no, yeah, I, def- I definitely want it. I thought you wanted, you said to like, tell her what I wanted. He was like, I- you know what network this show's gonna go to? I can't have you say, I wanna fuck you on my show at ABC. I can't have you do that. So, and I was like, oh, okay. He goes, but that's fine. I think, thank you. Yeah, there it and is. And I was like, okay, cool. Awesome. And I literally remember calling a friend after I left. And I was like, I fucking killed that shit. I tried stuff and I even like did this thing. And then it wasn't for like maybe months later and it had dawned on me randomly that when he said, tell her what you really want, he meant like, 
this is your motivation. Sure. Put it in your voice, in your tone, and get her to come down here. Yeah. Don't actually fucking say it, asshole. It's funny because when you listen to that story from the outside and now listening to your angle on it and knowing mm-hmm. the angle from the director on this, mm-hmm. what that is is a classic case of miscommunication. Yep. And that's the director not having enough time with you because this is what casting's about. Yeah. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough time that. with that person to understand what it is that they understand as far as descriptions yeah. or, 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 or directing. And then you also have to understand that the actor... Mm-hmm. is been pacing fucking streets of Atlanta all day in a sweaty fucking suit. Mm-hmm. The anxiety levels are through the roof because he's hearing fucking singers in the back room. Mm-hmm. And so he's in there hunting and hunting and hunting. And you're in that mode, yep. that anxiety fuel mode where you're like, I got to find the thing. I got to find the fucking find thing. Find that one thing that they cast me and this changes things. This, yeah, I'm going to hunt. I'm going to find it. And so when you get that direction and when I laugh at the dude that went camera, I love that guy. I'm yeah. not making fun of him. Yeah. I just loved how he handled that stress and how yeah. he turned around and handled that stress and that scenario. Yeah. Um, I fucking enjoy the human for that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So casting sessions are so fucking brutal because you, in the best case scenario, you'd take fucking like five months. And mm-hmm. you would have these people in, you'd sit with people and you'd talk yeah. to these people and you'd communicate with these people mm-hmm. and you'd find something that's really great. And that's why I think it's important as a director that you're friends with actors yeah. and that you're actually intermingling with people. Because mm-hmm. if you're looking for quality in a performance, yeah. you're, you might be lucky. Like I was lucky in a casting session with Gene. Yeah. Gene from 12 Camp. Uh, and uh, he, I don't know if I've told this story on the show but he was an accidental casting because I, my old office used to be in Boston above Boston Casting. Oh right, 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 yeah. So I was doing a casting session for Twelve KM that we had done a post online with. We didn't even go through Boston Casting because we didn't want to pay rates or anything. Yeah. So we did a post online, and I just hung up because the building was like a fucking maze. So you had to hang up maps. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like casting session for 12 Arrow, upstairs. upstairs. Go left. Yeah, Take yeah. a right. Go left and then the door. <laughs> right. So like you leave those arrows up there. And so I had a bunch of people that we had casted coming through. And Gene will correct me if this is wrong. But from what I remember, I was in the office. I had the door open. And I'm sitting at my desk. And this guy just pokes his head in. He's like, hey. I was like, hey. He's like, is this where the casting's going on? I was like, yeah. And he's like, cool. He wasn't scheduled. He wasn't any of that stuff. He was just downstairs in Boston casting, and he came up and poked his head in. I think that's what happened with him. And he came up and poked his head in, and and then he did a read. And what most actors can't handle is that oftentimes when you see somebody, you're casting them immediately. Mm -hmm. And it isn't... It isn't the performance. It isn't any of that stuff. Yeah. It's like when you look at them, at least with me, if I see someone that I like, mm-hmm. I know immediately that I'm going to want to stare at that face mm-hmm. for fucking two years. Yeah, it's a very visual medium, right? So it's like when you walk in the room, there's definitely going to be a feeling of like, oh, that's, this is a good start right here. Right. Now, this is do. a, please and don't if, fuck it up. And yeah. if you aren't the, ah, that guy's too short. Like, I'm 5'8", so I you know I go into audition for some shit, and I'm like, I know all the girls that are sitting out here are six foot. I'm probably not going to be the guy they're going to cast. So, okay, well, let's just go in here and 
crush the acting part of it. Sure. And then they'll think of me for something else later on. But not, not just that, dude. Sometimes, because you get preconceived notions. Like, mm-hmm. I have a bunch of parts that are written in the new script mm-hmm. that are written for certain uh, demographics and, yeah. and races. I'll throw that out the fucking window when I'm casting for this mm-hmm. because... Uh, you know, Will's writing this in a fucking, you know, in a chamber right now. Like he's, he's not, he's not in this town writing this scene in this town. So he's writing what he thinks works. Open the fucking doors, man, because I want to be surprised by it. I want him to be surprised by it. I want us to watch this piece and go, you know what? We thought it was a six foot fucking dude, but it turns out, look what I found. Yeah. And if you look at like, uh, who's there that initially was written in an apartment that was initially written in an apartment house. Mm-hmm. And so finding that mansion and, and, and changing it and him mm-hmm. and I having that phone conversation where we're like, yeah. dude, let's change it because this place is so amazing. You want that. That's part of making yeah. good movies. Right. And so when Gene came in and poked his head in, I wasn't expecting this guy. He had a great look. He looked like Jean Renault from fucking The Professional. Yeah, and He I, really does. He really does. And that in- initially... That familiar, that familiarity for me, and that love for that character, I was just like, oh, I like the way this guy looks. And I was like, yeah. And and so that read when he comes in and does something, like, mm-hmm. please don't fuck it up. And you're sitting there just going, please don't fuck it up. And he yeah. he nailed it. And oh. he immediately just got that fucking part, like instantaneously yeah. got that part. And then I had a woman come in because it was all guys initially, and I had Lana, the actress that plays in it. She came in. Because she saw it was a role for a Russian. I wouldn't call it for women. Yeah. And she came in and she just met. She's like, I just want to meet. It was a background part. And I was sitting there looking at her and I love her face. And she had this natural scar on her face, which was really cool. And I was just looking at her going like, man, what if she's the only woman on this fucking team? And, and she isn't a stereotypical Hollywood beautiful scar, starlet where it's like yeah. thin waist. Like she's like a tough roll your sleeves, yeah. big bone, big framed mm-hmm. uh, Russian woman, an older, like middle-aged Russian woman. Mm-hmm. And you just, I'm just looking at her going, this is the woman that would survive mm-hmm. in this group. Yeah. And so the whole sequence where we do close-ups on her and she screams and she does all her bit, that was all written after that because yeah. of experiencing that person yeah. in casting. Well, that's the thing, right? It's like you, you'll hear people say all the time like well I'll cast the person who's right for the part like when we in terms of talking about diversity and shit well I'll cast who's right for the part I don't want to I don't want to just look here cuz I want to cast who's right for the part and I go cool but to me that just feels almost like okay if we're going to cast who's right for the part then be open to who gets to come in and read for the part yeah fuck you you know what I mean don't if we're sitting here looking at then give everybody that that fair shake you know, if, if, if you've got it predetermined in your mind, and I'll see guys do this shit a lot with like indie stuff where you'll see guys that have to cast somebody to be um, a love interest and they cast based off what they actually like in real life. I'm like, one, that's fucking weird. It's weird <laughs> as shit. It's like you're casting like, I'm basically going to play dolls and I want the prettiest doll that's going to be my wife. Yeah. So totally. it'll be fun when we kiss. It's fucking weird. <laughs> so I think it's, it should be is, okay. Whoever the fuck comes in here, I don't care if I if I'm casting a wife and I'm playing the husband. I don't care if I find you attractive or not. Who's the best for the part? Okay, I'm not acting in this thing at all, and I'm just gonna direct it, and I'm open to this cast being whatever it ends up shaping up to be. Well, if I know that I like I want this to be a diverse cast, then I'm gonna probably lean in 
towards more diverse or, or, or people of color. Then in there, then find the person who's right for the part. Mm-hmm. If you're saying that it just doesn't matter, I just want to get who's right, then I, you just got to give everybody that fair shake and then sure. don't have the preconceived notion of, well, but this is what I imagine is like this, this household. No, because you said you wanted whoever's right for the part, so just see what comes in here and what happens. Sure. And sure. unless we're talking about like, well, we cast the parents, now we got to cast the kid, and like the kid needs to look like they would be their kid. Outside of that, it's like, dude, the fucking, the, the group of guys or the, the co-workers, like that's, that's anybody. Anybody. That's anybody. Just be open to that being anybody then, truthfully. But, but see, the, the issue, and I think the issue isn't with the filmmakers, I think the issue is ultimately with the business people. So right. that right. so you start dealing with the business, and prior to Black Panther, yeah, you know the the business statistics were that you can't have uh, black men or yeah. black women lead a fucking movie yeah, that black leads don't sell. You're not going to do that, and so, and then having minorities in a in a lead, uh, quote unquote minorities, yeah. in a lead uh, won't sell, and so a lot of that stuff has been slowly changing. The problem with Hollywood is Hollywood's never genuine. Hollywood's never genuine about anything. Mm-hmm. So they're not like, hey, we genuinely care about these human beings, so not. we're going to put them in this. Yeah. It's, I genuinely want to make a billion dollars. I right. genuinely want to make this money. And so the pendulum swings wherever the fuck they need, whatever they need to point it at mm-hmm. to make the money. Yeah. And so you get a lot of casting now, which is swinging all over the fucking place, where yep. you, you're looking we had people come to us and say can we just gender swap all these folks and we're like yeah. we don't we had the same conversation on a feature recently it was like well this story would be more interesting if um if we changed all of these to women and focus on their story and as we looked at it we're like no i mean that's i could we definitely do that the problem is that these characters based on real people and these were men so like yeah we, we just actually can't do that right you know and i think that's where you get into those issues right as you go okay so if we're telling this story this way um let's just give that the honest look yep. and, and just go there with it and if you i feel like here's what i want to say if you're telling those stories genuinely we know as the audience right when you see the pandering and you could tell this is just the studio or this production company checking this box yep. so that their conscience is clear it's obvious, like, uh, what, what is that, like, virtue-seeking bullshit. Sure. And it leads, it ends up being like a trash movie, and you could just fucking see right through it. Sure. But when it's genuine, you almost don't even think about it. No, it doesn't matter. Because the is the shit. It doesn't and matter. it doesn't matter. Yeah. And you're like, wow, that was a fucking good movie. Yeah. It, it, like, it's like, uh, uh, what's his name in, um, in uh, Westworld? I fucking love him so much. Oh, Jeffrey much. Wright? Jesus oh. Christ, he's such a fucking refreshing drink of water when you you watch him on the screen you're just like i love this gentleman Mm -hmm. and he's got such the ability to take all of this internal emotion and just play it quietly and on his face and i love that i love that about him i don't care who he is where he comes from he just Mm -hmm. has this ability to to do that and to not find him Mm -hmm. because you're like well yeah, it's kind of a main character. It's a lead yeah. character, and that's not going to do well mm-hmm. on TV. Wow, my phone was still plugged in. That's not going to do well on TV. There you go, Liam. By the way, that is my first official phone ring, and, and it was even worse that it was Bluetooth on here. <laughs> so there you go. This is a this is a serious moment. I know this, this is a big is, moment for me. I know this. I want is. everyone to know. 
<laughs> I'm going to answer your question in return for blessed silence. <laughs> I know it is, man. Um, so, well, you know, what I think what's really cool with Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Wright is in that space, you know, the filmmakers and the team, everyone, whoever was involved in making a decision of him playing that role, that is not a role you typically would see a black actor in. Yeah. And by them going, yeah, but who gives a fuck? Cast him. He's great for the part. He's, he's amazing, yeah. That's the stuff that like we love to see. That's the stuff that for me, as an actor of color, I, I get to see us in different roles that we don't typically get. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. Like when I watched him in Bernard, one, I basically could be Jeffrey Wright's son on paper. Like you look at me and Jeffrey Wright side by side, and I'm like, yeah, if Jeffrey Wright gets real big, I'm here for this biopic. Y'all call me. Let me know. I want to do it. Jeff, please. But I mean, even looking at um, in in The Last of Us Two, he voices uh, a main character. Oh, cool, cool. And that character is a general who runs this sort of um, this little pack of 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 like this militant group that fights against this other group and this other group, and then they're like the very hard nosed militant people in this out of those groups and. His character is huge on torture and is very methodical and very slow moving and fucking terrifying. And again, not really a space you would typically see a black character. Yeah. And Jeffrey Wright's voice is so like, it's, you know, it's him as soon as you hear him and you see the movement in the mocap. That's Jeffrey Wright, man. And it's so exciting to watch that sort of thing play out. And I go, love Holy it, shit. I love this it. guy's so good. And he's clearly has worked before this. But what if somebody didn't go, yeah, why can't this guy be the CIA agent in, in Casino Royale? Why can't this guy be the, be the AI from Westworld? Fuck it. Yeah. You know? And because of that, look at the way that that helps to continue to evolve the career. Yeah. And how that truthfully opens up other doors. Because I believe, it's like we talked about with Old Guard, you know, if, when, when you end up in a position that someone like you in whatever box you check doesn't end, you usually end up in that position fucking knock that out the park yeah please knock do. that out of the park please you know? do knock that out of the park and the, it, it just changes the, the the perception on that thing and and it's unfair because it shouldn't have to be a thing where well you're not allowed to fail because you usually don't get this space but i think just be aware like i get a part and i know that typically this is not a part that goes with somebody like me i feel the duty to fucking crush this because maybe somebody sees this and then whoever watching this is writing a movie and they go, oh shit, I never would have pictured yeah. it like this. And that opens the door for the next kid that's trying to come up. Yeah. And as as creators, as, as filmmakers, if you're a good filmmaker, um, you're looking for... You're looking for all the, that texture. You're looking for that yeah. stuff yeah. that when you, t- when you put the camera on somebody... You watch Denzel Washington. He's got texture. You watch, um, you know, Marlon Brando. He's got texture. You mm-hmm. watch these actors that, however, whatever their fucking process is and whatever they need to do to find this thing, they, they've done it and they've, yeah. they've found that. And so you're consistently, I'm consistently on the hunt for that character on screen that I'm going to be in love with for the rest of my life. Right. That's what you're looking for. And mm-hmm. it's better if it's someone that I didn't even know existed because it's like finding mm-hmm. anytime I take a photograph of somebody, anybody I put someone on my edit screen, I now have a love affair with them because I have yeah. spent thousands of hours interacting with them and, and, and uh, editing them and understanding every molecule, every mole, every fucking hair on their face. I know who these people are because I, I have to scrutinize over that. And so for me, finding that surprise 
And finding that person that I would never even think about looking at yeah. is so refreshing and, and it's so inspiring. Um, and it's one of the best parts of this job as far as dealing with talent is mm -hmm. that we were talking about, and I won't get into it because the show's going way too long. <laughs> two and a half fucking hours. Um, but um, we were talking about my visit to the post office the other day and sort of sitting around and examining yeah. these humans. And I really love... People go both ways on me. People can be the most irritating fucking things on the planet, mm -hmm. but people can also be the most fascinating, absolutely fascinating things. Tony, you watched that Life in a Day documentary. I know. I saw the trailer this morning. It looks really cool. Um, but it's empathy. Mm -hmm. Once you start to understand and ask yourself why someone's acting some way, if someone cuts you off on the road and someone's doing something, you can have your initial reaction with like, you almost killed me, motherfucker. Yeah. But then I always tail that up with like, I wonder if their wife is in the hospital. Yeah. I, I wonder if, you know, their daughter has stopped talking to them this week. I wonder mm -hmm. if, you know, they lost their job today. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wonder if their fucking father beat the fuck out of them their whole life. And yeah. that's what, why they're doing this. And there was a period in time, especially in my youth, I know for a fucking fact in my father's youth and beyond that, that even asking those questions were a sign of fucking weakness. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important as we end the show today, I think it's important that we just sort of take a moment in the midst of everything that we're dealing with right now, understand that it's incredibly depressing that we have had to be locked down for so long and that we've had this distance from people. But personally, I'm coming out of it with a better understanding of how my thought process works. Mm how my rhythms work because I have the time to think about these things. Right. Um, and I think that this year off is essentially going to make me a better human being. And I know by talking to my friends, no talking to you that you're also going through yeah. the same stuff. So this isn't a cherry on top kind of situation. This is the reality of it. The reality of it is, is that we are learning something new mm -hmm. and uh, fingers fucking crossed that, um, we can somehow overpower the rhythms that were established prior because of a system that was established prior to this. Right. I don't know. What do you think, Liam? You've been uh, pretty quiet over there. Liam, you have the grand gift of silence. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> no, that's not what we're going to get away with. I'm sorry that we didn't even, we got, we got so deep in these things and you never really get to chime in. Is there anything you want to chime in on there, buddy? On the record? No. Okay. <laughs> you don't talk all much, do you? It's fun. Proud of you. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, guys, so uh, let me wrap this show up. Um, I uh, want to say thanks to Lance for hanging out. Yep, thank you very much. As man. always, man. Thank you. And uh, it's been great to be in the same room with you. I think that's one of the reasons why the show went so long is that we've just been enjoying talking. Uh, and Liam, thank you so much for being there. As I, always. I do want to say thank you so much, guys, for this conversation. This this episode is one of my favorite. Really? Yeah, not joking. Like, this is part of the reason why I started listening to the fucking podcast and why I'm excited to be part of it because of episodes like this. It's anybody listening, this is one of the fucking most important ones. Honestly, I think I've been part of. 
really man well i'm I'm happy that uh it spoke to you that way and it's you know we're just trying to work through our own issues um and try to do it in a safe way for our careers but also in a way that uh uh people can maybe take something from it and hopefully um, unfortunately those of you listening are listening to this conversation and you're not physically a part of this conversation but if you have any opinions on what we've talked about if you want to talk about this stuff you can reach out to us uh, Liam has conversations open on Reddit. I'm sure we'll open up a good conversation for this episode there. Um, or you can reach out um, at the uh, Instagram accounts at In Love With The Process Pod or at Mike Petchy. Um, but I hope that maybe there is something in here that you guys didn't think about. Uh, maybe one of our experiences uh, stimulates a new idea. And honestly, I am very excited to, to learn from you. So I will be the first one to tell you that I feel this way right now. Will I feel this way in a week? I have no idea, but that's the exciting part about living right now. So, all right, guys. So that being said, I am signing off. 